You are listening to International Open Podcast. This is the official podcast of International Open Magazine. Please head over to internationalopenmagazine.com to see the show note size of the podcast, articles and more information. Derek. Ah, comrade. Welcome to Moscow. And welcome to International Open Podcast Issue 5. Now, Derek, thanks for inviting me to Moscow. My pleasure. I'm so happy that you were able to come all this way and get a visa to leave Vienna. If you too need an American to invite you to Moscow in a posh uh, hotel, uh, just contact Derek. <laughs> He will do that for you. Well, I've been keeping my eye out for a really good conference to lure you to after we had our fun field trip adventure to Roma for... The Roma Maker Fair. How long ago was that? I think uh, half a year, a bit more. September? Yeah. No, no. Oh, it was October. It was during Code Week. Yeah, it was 2015. Yeah, the middle of October. I, I should say uh, we are now in Moscow and it's uh, April uh, 2016, the 15th April? 15th. 14th. 14th April is now. Okay, yeah. yeah. Da. da, da, da. And we are here, we are already on our second beer, and we are here because Derek invited me uh, to speak at the International Education Fair Moscow, which I will do in two days. Mm. And I Thanks spoke again, today. Yeah. Oh, my pleasure. Derek. They're lucky to have another Viennese <laughs> here. My favorite Austrian. Thanks, thanks. Uh, Derek, uh, let's give a quick update uh, since our last podcast you was heading to uh, Russia and now you are a busy, uh, busy American employee in Russia. Is that I correct? Think, I think you I think was, you are employed. <laughs> I was <laughs> on working. one episode yeah. after my first trip to okay, Moscow, okay. I think. But but now you, you really uh, have lived some months nonstop in, in Russia. No, the no. longest I've ever been. Well, um, I think it's been just about a month this ah, time. Okay, okay. I was in Vladivostok <coughs> area for two and a half weeks, mm -hmm. and now I've been in Moscow for about two weeks. So yeah, I guess just over a month. This is okay. the longest. It was. I was here for three weeks in January and just a week in uh, October into November. And I recorded International Open Podcast number three. With Sergi? Yeah, in um, January when oh, okay. I was here. So that was my last time in Moscow. And um, you managed to get employed here in uh, in Moscow as a foreigner, as an American? Yes, I got, uh, I got an invitation for a Russian work visa. Mm -hmm. So it starts with a three-month visa. And then I've just filed for an extension. So as of next week, I should have a one-year work visa, multi-entry visa mm -hmm. for Russia. So finally, this will be my, I think this will be my fourth visa, mm -hmm. because counting the third three-month versus yeah. the one-year. Um, so third visa just since October. Okay. Like when, when, we, went, when we came back from Rome, visitor, yeah. I was getting my first visa yeah, to yeah. Moscow, and that's only six months ago or something. Crazy. What can yeah. you say about your Russian experience? Uh, I will uh, uh, make a lot of questions about the woman later, but <laughs> just how, how is it working in Russia as an expatriate, as, a, as a foreigner? I'm still Western. learning. Yeah. It's, it's very difficult to get paid in Russia if you don't have a work visa. Okay. So this is my first visit with a work visa. Mm -hmm. and So you can now so, officially get paid. Yeah, so yeah. I can be on payroll mm -hmm. for a company. Um, but like, I don't have a Russian 
bank account yet. Mm-hmm. So when I come back in June, the college that I'm going to be teaching at will set up a bank account to be okay. able to pay me. I, I imagine they use direct deposit. And, and like did that. they try something funny like like paying you in Bitcoin or, ah. or fur or raw materials or crude oil? No, <laughs> old-fashioned rubles. Yeah. Uh, so it's um, the the difficulty for them hiring people from outside of Russia is the the low exchange rate. Yeah. So it's expensive. So it it would be I wouldn't be able to live here if this was my only income. Mm-hmm. But because I still have paying clients in the U.S. Yeah. And okay. income from my books um, that that allows me to consider living here at least part time. So you have now a pretty international lifestyle where you spend your income and your area of living with low living costs. Yeah, I try to bring American dollars here to because they go a lot longer. <laughs> spend them in Russia. <laughs> and, and very important, I try not to bring my rubles anywhere else mm-hmm. <laughs> because then I would just lose value yeah, yeah. if I was translating them into euros or, or dollars. So basically you you improving the Moscow local economy here. Doing my part, my <laughs> small part. Yeah. Okay. But You're really free. hoping to get one of the books translated into Russian. Yeah. So that that would be a real contribution. For new listeners, uh, your books, uh, this is the, still the scratch book? Or? Yeah, I guess since the last time we spoke, I now have three books okay. about scratch. So two new books just came out in the US last week. Still scratch. And they're what are called derivative titles. Uh, so, so they, they are take a portion. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They, they took just the game design yeah, projects yeah. for one okay. book. And just the animation projects for another book. Okay. And I had to re-edit them. They had to be a very specific length. And frankly, that was not a fun process. Okay. Just sort of condensing your yeah, own Yeah, you, you told me you was yeah. not happy about it. Have you some, some funny story uh, to report? Like your first North Korean version or Antarctica uh, version or Inuit uh, dialects or something? No, I mean... The, the, the irony is the French version has been out for since November, but I haven't been to France mm-hmm. or Canada since mm-hmm. then, to any of the French-speaking countries. Yeah. So I still haven't even seen the French edition okay. that came out. But for your listeners in Austria, the German edition was due out this week, at least oh, from okay. Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know about yeah. being in local bookstores, but I imagine mm-hmm. it will be in local bookstores by the end so, of the yeah. month. But that is also a condensed version, and mm-hmm. not only have I not seen it, I don't know what projects are in that book. Do I understand correctly that all these decisions, who get a, a licensing, a translation license, and in how many part of the original work will make an issue, uh, an edition in the translated language, are all decided by your publisher, not by you? Yes, I have zero impa- okay. input on any of that. You just did the original work and, and waived your rights and they now yeah. make money with it. Yeah, and I get a small commission okay. for these other languages. The the one that I'm most excited about is Chinese. Well, the, you get in, really they're China translating already. into China into Chinese oh. now, and my hope is that I'll travel to China in August and be able to meet people and and hand them my book in Chinese. It'd be super cool. Worldwide, Derek. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know of any other languages that are imminent. But okay. the, these newer books are much shorter. They're only yeah. 128 pages, yeah, yeah. so it's more likely that those will be translated into a wider number of okay. languages. But in terms of income, it's very small. Okay. So it's it. I, I don't almost don't make enough to make it worth promoting, other than mm. believing yeah, in the yeah. work. I see. 
Is it so that if you, let's say, in French, you make some money, or better better example would be Britain, uh, who has his national currency? Uh, now, let's say you have a British version of your book, and uh, if this version begin to sell, would you then generate an income in British pounds? Or yeah. will that be automatically um, um, made in dollars from your American publishers? Yeah, all all of the money goes to the public, the American publisher, and then they yeah. pay me. Okay, so it's not that like you as an author has in, have have income and bank accounts in several countries and then can decide to uh, change that in dollars or just yeah, leave not, them locally. Not at all, and I think that's a challenge for countries like Russia because mm -hmm. the exchange rate makes it less likely for them to translate work. Yeah. But what I have done in Russia is I was able to encourage a school to translate the um, community commons share alike Lessons, scratch yeah. um, mm -hmm. curriculum developed yeah. at MIT. Mm -hmm. So this is about a hundred page yeah. curriculum um, and they're translating that into Russian and they're almost finished. And they it can do that because of the free license. That. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's uh, share alike, so yeah. anybody can yeah, can yeah. not only um, translate it, but can also remix it, yeah, yeah. use portions of it any way that they wish. So it's pretty great. And we, we used some For of the pages veteran hearers of today. our podcast, this should no, be no news, but yeah, yeah. it's nice. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot repeat it often enough. <laughs> it's, but it, what I like about that curriculum is it's also just a beautiful model for school curriculum yep. so anybody who wants to develop curriculum for a school that follows mm -hmm. a certain standard this is like the gold standard for lesson plans yep. and that sort of thing for both teacher lesson plans and student and now they've published a workbook version on amazon of this creative uh um creative computing curriculum workbook and this kids. is also free licensed uh, um it's know. free licensed you just pay for the printed yeah, version yeah okay, of the book. okay. Yeah. So it's you would be able to fork it and modify yeah, it. Yeah. Can you say what is your experience with the Russian education system so far as a foreigner, as your American perspective? Well, with, your, with your eyes as an American, yeah. I think you had contact with teachers and education people here and even schools. What yeah. is your impression? Well, I have to make a disclaimer because... Yeah. That uh, I was invited mm -hmm. by governmental officials yep. to go to specific schools. Yep. So of course they're great schools. So they are the light lighthouse projects. Yeah. Okay. So I've been to. But sorry, let three. me interrupt. The, the fact alone that you get from the top bureaucracy invited. Do you think there is um, um, a top down a push a push from the government to uh, push education forward? Absolutely. So it's a political yeah. move. We, we want to improve our yeah. education system. I, I'm very impressed. I, I, I think that the, um, the sense that I have is that teachers are really celebrated in Russia mm -hmm. more than in the United States. You think this is a traditional thing coming back from Soviet era? I do. Okay. I do. So as a teacher, you hear more outer, so in society, you have a higher ranking than in some Western countries. I think so. Mm -hmm. I think so. There's still a there's still a division here because of the the newer like new media companies mm -hmm. and international companies and things like anyone else there are entrepreneurs who are very well compensated for their work yeah but in terms of uh, more like state jobs mm -hmm. uh, I think teachers are from what I've seen very well respected I really have a sense of that at the conference yeah. where I was so you all think day they are high educated yesterday. people and, and teacher is not a 
a job you do if you have so it's a bad career move so it's a good career move so good yeah I, pre-selection the, the teachers that I've met by mm -hmm. and large are quite proud mm -hmm. of the work that they do yeah. and many of them travel internationally so cool, yeah. I feel like they um, the world wise yeah they have an international perspective mm -hmm. or at least a European yeah. perspective well mm -hmm. beyond Russia and so I've been really impressed with the 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 actual education system from the student perspective yep. too so meeting a ton of students who even at a very young age are are practically fluent in english well yeah which is so impressive in we the should, u.s it would be very hard to find we, we should say like that, that that you now learning to read russian but basically you very you, slowly <laughs> basically you can hear not even Com can communicate in the native language and yeah, getting none, paid and, and getting none besides da and yet yeah. but the college where I'm going to be working mm -hmm. they have classes available in English wow. okay. it's called the British Higher School okay. of Art and Design mm -hmm. and so one of the selling points for the courses that I'm going to be teaching for teenagers is that it's a way for them to improve their English because you're a native speaker design. teaching okay. Yeah. Okay. And, and what I'm told is it It's easier for Russians to understand Americans. American then, English is a little clearer than for them. British English. Even than British, and, and uh, particularly yeah. for any other, okay. anyone who grows okay. up that isn't a native English speaker. But, but I was surprised to hear that it's easier for them to understand Americans than mm -hmm. British. Mm -hmm. I think at, at, in no small part due to Movies? pop culture. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Movies and music. Yeah. yeah. So I hear American music everywhere I go okay. in Moscow. Have you some insight into uh, Russian TV? Because uh, one of my theories is that if you have a TV that is not uh, dubbed, so not mm. not translated, but instead sure, subtitles, subtitles instead or, of or, um, voice over, so yeah. that you still can hear the original voice, that improve the the ability of the population to learn English. My recording, but this is really 20 years past, was that it was standard for Russian TV not to have a completely voice, also not completely translation of the films, mm -hmm. but instead uh, some narrator who explain uh, in a Russian voice what actually is said and happened. It's like a commentator, but you Russian still could TV, hear yeah. the, the original. I voice. can't you comment so much about Russian TV, but this is something I asked Sergey about. I, okay, I don't will, know yeah. if it was on the podcast, though. We will postpone But it to the I'm next hoping meeting. that we'll get yeah, an interview yeah. with him. But your your uh, impression as an American was that the uh, level of English among teachers and students is very high. Yeah. Yeah. Impressive. Yeah, I was really uh, pleasantly surprised with how mm -hmm. easy it was to communicate yeah. with people since my first time yeah. in Russia. Uh, but it, it's funny you, you mentioned about dubbing and things. I just watched a documentary last week on Netflix about uh, underground films in Romania. Mm -hmm. And it's called, it has Chuck Norris in the title. I think it's Chuck Norris Conquers Communism or something yeah. like that. But it's a feature-length documentary that is looking at thousands of films in the 80s mm -hmm. that were dubbed by one woman mm -hmm. she would do she would dub the entire film yeah. on vhs so people all over romania would watch these awful mm -hmm. copies of mm -hmm. vhs films where they could barely see mm -hmm. what was happening but they would hear this one woman's voice and mm -hmm. so for an entire generation or two 
this woman is the voice of all of every West American, <laughs> particularly American. Yeah, in, yeah. in fact, I don't remember them mentioning any other films other than American, mm-hmm. and then some of like the Bruce Lee films, yeah, which yeah. were cool. Hong Kong but yeah. practically American yeah. films. Like really interesting, and they were talking about all the ways that it expanded their horizons, their yeah. understanding of the West yeah. at a time when they had. No, they only had one television station, which would only broadcast a few hours a day. Yeah, yeah, so it was a really restrictive time. And uh, uh, Contraire, I think uh, it's the same in Austria, but I think uh, if I remember our first podcast, well, you said that uh, in America, even in cinemas, it's very unusual to have a film not fully translated. It would right. be art house, a student film who come in original language, but it's not... Yeah, it's only if maybe a handful of films, let, yeah. I'd say less than 10 a year, that get yeah. a theatrical release as dubbed international films. I'm sorry, as uh, subtitled. As subtitled. Yeah, yeah. Dubbed is almost unheard of. I, I don't know. I don't think I've ever seen a film in a theater in the U.S. that was dubbed, dubbed from means, another language, uh, um, where they record an English language track. Um, so, like, if you in in Moscow, in yeah. Russia, for instance. Most American films are dubbed. Yeah, into so you Russian. have a, a national voice over. Yeah, 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 and that even does not happen in America. No dubbing is very rare. Usually, so it just they remake the whole film. Then or? no, well, um, it's it's more likely to see a remade film mm, than mm. to see even Adapt. a subtitled film. Okay. In in theaters, mm-hmm. uh, they pretty much have to get nominated for an Academy Award. Uh, not exactly. Something commercial like a, a film like Let the Right One In, mm-hmm. um, where it's a vampire film, uh-huh. um, maybe some action, so some things, uh, but pretty rare. Something like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Okay, yeah. Like that. <laughs> that we all have seen because of the dialogue. And so I should mention, we're drinking Kozel Czech, Czech beer, introduced by Sergei. To me, on on podcast number three, I think. On the hilt of Sergi. Ah, cheers. Okay, so you was, um, with your experience so far with teachers and uh, students alike, you was impressed of the uh, level of English. Yeah. You had an easy time communicating. It makes me feel worse and worse about <laughs> being monolingual. I mean, I studied French in both high school and college and, yeah. and can barely get by in French as it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, But they're also, they're, um, I think they're surprised to learn that Russian was not available at almost any level of education because of my age. So being 46, mm-hmm. we're about yeah. the same age. Um, in the eight, 1970s and 80s, Russian would have been one of the least popular languages in the U.S. because of the Cold War. Yeah, yeah. But I, I just speculate that did not the CIA or some military agencies had, had a need to train Russian translators? Well, or? that's one of the places. And in fact, I or tried they... to become, I wanted to be in intelligence when I was in the Navy. Yeah. I applied for uh, for intelligence, and I was quite interested in studying Russian. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'd forgotten this until just yeah. recently when I was coming here. Um, but I wanted to ask you, so mm-hmm. Russian uh, news stories that I've been following the past mm-hmm. few weeks have been really emphasizing the, the strong ties between Austria and Russia, which 
resonated with me even more as I was thinking about you coming to Moscow. Is no, this... I, I'm not on a government mission. I, <laughs> I think this is a current political uh, diplomatic game. Uh, so. But is it also be being covered widely in Austrian not press? Not so much, no. So no, it's no. much more on the Russian side. Yeah, yeah I think. Uh, so... If if you listen to this some years in the in the uh, future, <laughs> at the moment I think uh, Russia is still under sanction because of yes. the um, uh, war in with Ukraine, and yeah, maybe the Austria tried to probe missions or some whatever, what else. We, we historically since the Cold War, we Austria had a had a reputation of being a small neutral country and had better deals diplomatic wise if, if the big blocks could not. <laughs> I'm I'm just here because of your invitation ah. to hold us speak about teaching with open source. <laughs> Is this the furthest you've ever been from Vienna? In the east, yes. Cool. Yep. Was it the first time that you had to get a visa? Uh, no, I remember that as when I was a kid, the, it was before the European Union, I once had to apply to a visa to go to France. Mm. But, yeah. Well, yeah, I successfully got a visa. It was ah. a very nice experience. Yeah. But I, I wanted to, to ask you, um, okay, you told about the level, high level of English that you have seen in Russian schools, but mm. you also mentioned you, you was probably shown the more elite schools and not the, some rural schools with bad yeah. funding. Um, what is your impression about the level of uh, IT, about computer education in these uh, schools that you have seen and about students and teachers? Do you have seen good computer rooms, uh, good uh, computer knowledge? Or? Well, I'm about to break your heart yeah. first because Dude. the schools that I saw had MacBooks. Had MacBooks. <laughs> Everything that is expensive. <laughs> yeah, and that was something that surprised me just because I, I didn't expect to see it in public schools. Yeah. Even in the U.S., it's a mix. Yeah. Um, but I think what's, what's good about mm -hmm. MacBooks from an IT perspective is the um, general generally lower maintenance cost and more yeah. resistant to viruses. Yeah. Of course, Linux is the yeah. same, uh, but but. Okay, but uh, yeah. I mean that alone is an indicator that there is money. At least yeah, in the schools you the, have visited. The, the, um, at least two of the schools, maybe yeah. all three. Now that I'm thinking of it, children were working on MacBook Pros, mm -hmm. so yeah. the most expensive laptops available, really. Yeah. yeah. And um, and solid Wi-Fi, and two of the schools had smart boards. Smart boards, okay. And, and that really surprised me. The first time I went into a, the very first school that I went into had a smart board. And Are I we thought, talking wow, about the same note that the teacher that. can have basically a big touch screen? Yeah, exactly, yeah, like yeah. an electronic whiteboard. Instead of a, a how you say chalkboard or the yeah. What's, so, what's the physical uh, name for the? Okay. Chalkboard or whiteboard, whiteboard okay. yeah, yeah. And uh, did was your impression that they're making use of it, or is there still stuff at new I toys? Didn't to, uh... see, I, I didn't see a lot of instruction happening mm -hmm. in the schools okay, okay. because typically I was being brought to teach workshops. Okay, okay. So I would get a tour of the school that would be yeah. quite brief, and then going right into doing teaching. Mm -hmm. um, and I was at a school last week. But it was during a holiday, so yes. there were no students there. I have uh, read that Little Estonia has now mandatory uh, programming uh, huh. curriculum for every student cool. until a certain age. 
Uh, did you uh, hear something in this direction about Russia or some uh, ideas about that? So that com uh, at least introduction to computer programming becomes uh, part of the mandatory syllabus? I've definitely heard of prioritizing mm -hmm. computer education, but not mandatory. Okay, okay. So I haven't heard that yet, but yeah. I also, I, I can't say that I'm following the press yeah, okay, as okay. closely, yeah, not reading... We will follow up uh, soon. Uh, if, if Yeah, right now I'm mostly dependent on Google News. Okay, and okay, I, yeah. I have a Russian channel in Google yeah. News. So I read Russian stories, mm -hmm. but of course in English. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't think it's as nearly as deep as if I was going through newspapers or something. Um, but I've been talking to a lot of people in mm -hmm. IT education. And? Uh, I'm quite excited about this group at this Scola 1329. So, uh, school 1329, where they're creating like a scratch lab, well, a dedicated place where they can do research and do teacher training. Mm -hmm. And that's the school that's also translating the scratch guide. So, um, super impressive. And, and I was co-facilitating a workshop with the, um, assistant director from that school today. So very cool. Or we would say kruta. <laughs> kruta is like cool for, uh, it's a slang word. I'm told it's a word that teachers generally wouldn't use in school. But the if, students are if not. If the director was visiting <laughs> yeah, the class. Okay. Yeah, so, so sort of young slang. Very stupid question, um, uh, because we both were raised during the Cold War. And now, uh, if you read newspapers, it's always a bit colder and the end is yeah. more near, right? So, yeah. uh, what, what is your, um, reception as an American, as a former arch enemy? Uh, you've also raised that the Russian will end the world with a nuclear warheads and Armageddon is near. And now you're, you're working and, and living in, in Russia and you have a lot of interaction with, with people, meet a lot of Russians. How are you received as an American? By and large, I, I would say I am, I feel very welcome and popular. Popular. Almost like a minor celebrity <laughs> really? as an American. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and I don't think, uh, it, sometimes of course it's <coughs> being uh, introduced as a writer oh, from okay, America, yeah. but I think even just being American, uh, if people hear me speaking English or, or speaking, trying to speak Russian very yeah. badly. Yeah. Usually they smile or laugh, yeah. which is a good sign. Okay. Um, so I feel uh, sort of honored. Some I actually feel a little bit bad about it because I don't feel like I earned it. I'm just this guy from from the U.S., not even a bit very successful guy. Yeah. Uh, so I, sometimes I wonder if they really understood that I'm from a working class family. <laughs> But here particularly over the past few years, a lot of the expatriates have been leaving. A lot of American companies have left. Okay. So I, I you have think because sense of the political situation yeah, at the moment? Yeah, okay, I mean, yeah. at least as far as companies. Yeah, leaving. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that it's becoming more rare for people to uh, meet Americans okay. here. Um, but I, I also think it will be so interesting to hear your perspective in a day or two mm -hmm. once you've been yeah, at the yeah. conference meeting people to see if you have a similar experience as as being Austrian, but really as being from outside of Russia versus any specific country. Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I mean, particularly in, when I was near uh, Vladivostok, the 
people were just sort of dumbfounded. I think uh, at some they were so surprised to um, meet American an American okay. to hear English. But Vladivostok is, is vis-a-vis from Alaska, so it's not so far from True, <laughs> but I don't know that there's a lot of flights. There are many flights okay, between yeah, yeah. Alaska and Vladivostok. Like it's 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 a pretty far destination yeah, yeah. for for people to go. Yeah, you had some uh, typical uh, um, virtue of of free. Uh, Telling us uh, experiences in Russia so far, like like some uh, some moment. Ah, now that I know that I'm in Russia, like the Russian YouTube video of car crashes or something. <laughs> um, good question. What? As soon as you mention experience of Russia, the first thing I think about is something I talked about on the, another podcast, which is the subway, mm-hmm. the metro yeah. in Moscow. Some of the most beautiful metro the stations famous, you'll see yeah, tomorrow, yeah, yeah. like marble. Yeah. Floors and yeah. walls and sculptures and paintings and frescoes, yeah. 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 And so, um, I, my thought when I was here the first time was, oh, this must be because they celebrate the worker. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, the subway is mm-hmm. like the, the the quintessential place for mm-hmm. the workers yeah, to yeah. gather and spend mm-hmm. time. And and so, you really feel like you're in a place that honors yeah. people. And many of the stations have these iconic paintings or sculptures of common people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which is really cool yeah uh, tomorrow you'll see the conference the exposition site which has some really iconic like Soviet sculptures like huge sculptures of so working man with flex uh, yeah okay. stuff like that you'll see right over the gates mm-hmm. like when you look in different directions you can see huge human sculptures yep. mm-hmm. in different directions kind of bringing people into the because this is where the world fair was and, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's one of my favorite places in Moscow because it feels so what's the name Russian. of this area this uh, exhibition it's area it's the or? oh you had to well, have I write it please yeah. look at the show notes at international openmagazine.org uh, podcast. I think Russian Exposition mm-hmm. Park or I okay, have not we, sure we exactly. will, I will have located yeah. it in the show. Yeah, I should put an um, a image of the map in the yeah, show. I will, I will, yeah. But very cool and one of my favorite things there is this incredible sort of statue monument mm-hmm. for uh, Yuri Gagorov the the um the first at man in space mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's really cool like Sputnik yeah, yeah. thing that's huge like and so that really impressed me the first time that I went to a conference there. I'm here only a half day. It's my first half day in Russia, but I already had a Russian moment. Really? Yeah. Tell me. Uh, well, uh, I was uh, growing up that we we had always uh, learned that the Russians um, have so harsh conditions to live in the winter and Soviet system and so so they're very good at improvising technical things yes and and um, we have even a, a saying in German that if something is very hacked also the mechanics hacked so mm. like not like it should be but so that it is working somehow yes then we say this is very Russian made <laughs> and uh, I was picked up by a driver from the airport so I get in a cab uh, and the driver had um, I think it was a Skoda and he had a big tablet uh, the tablet was functioning as his GPS system navigation mm. system with a and and normally 
my uh, experience was with such devices, even it's, if it's not built in in the car, it's at least attached to the car by some kind of uh, sucking um, devices or yeah. glue, somehow glued on the car like or attached or with some, some flexible uh, clip. <laughs> Here it was not so. Instead, um, the guy had a, a glove uh, department, basically a slit in the in the um, next to the steering wheel where you can put gloves or sunglasses. Uh-huh. And in this um, slit, which was maybe twenty centimeters times uh, four centimeters, he had a big chunk of wood, <laughs> like a uh, how you call it? not a not a brick but uh, of wood. Uh, oh, like a. Um... Uh, Longer, longer and thinner yeah. than a brick. A piece of wood. Sure. Yeah, the yeah. piece of wood had exactly the dimensions of this uh, gloves department and a bit more, so it was standing out. Ah. And in a right angle on this um, wood brick, <laughs> he had attached the, the um, navigation device with a rubber band, <laughs> pressing it to the wood. <laughs> It was for me really funny to see. I think, yeah, well, this guy, he was not waiting to get a special attachment uh, clip device uh, delivered. He, he just made it his own bit. He hacked it together. Yeah, you just reminded me that I've, been, I've had a few rides with drivers from airports mm-hmm. or between places who got lost. Yeah. Which is something that would be almost unheard of in the U.S. or in be that, other big cities. That there are so much um, building sites going on. I think so. Of, yeah. I think that was part of it. And one time I was getting really judgmental and then found out that it was because of when there are certain holidays, they yeah. block off entire areas of the city. Ah, okay, yeah. And so that was a case where he was trying to get to a hotel, mm-hmm. a specific hotel, and couldn't go yeah, the normal yeah normal way and then i felt really bad about it I felt like man i'm so judgmental what do i know i don't know what's going on mm. like uh where where people have been so friendly and actually the only time i've had trouble communicating with people was drivers uh who had been hired to to yeah, pick yeah. me up and bring me somewhere mm-hmm. who had zero english yeah uh but but each time i'm sort of like oh good like, uh, there should be more people like this. It should be harder for me to communicate. It's their city. Yeah, they yeah. shouldn't be trying to accommodate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yet, everywhere I go, people are talking about more ways that they either think the city should be or that the city mm-hmm. is preparing to accommodate English speakers, mm-hmm. whether it's street signs or subway. Yeah. So Moscow is, is trying to go international, so, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. yeah, and English in particular. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't see many, if any, other languages. Yeah. But in the subways, uh, one thing that's so helpful that someone had to point out to me is if you look down, a lot of the subway stations have added signs in English yeah, on, on the ground. Floor, yeah. The only thing that's unfortunate is none of us know to look down at the floor. <laughs> okay, yeah. We're just not used to seeing text mm-hmm. there. Uh, but once you're once it's pointed out, it's so helpful yeah, because yeah. the subway stations can be really vast, mm-hmm. and some of them have, excuse me, three stations. Okay. Side by side, yeah, yeah. and on the map it looks like they're the same station, mm. but you actually have to quote, go yeah, quite yeah. a ways. Yeah. So I'm, st- but I'm still a tourist. I'm still okay. nowhere near. But today you delivered a workshop and a speak. Can you speak about your experience at the yeah. International Education Fair? I, I did a brief talk, just a fifteen-minute talk yeah. on instructional design 
which talking is not my strong point, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm much more confident delivering workshops. I must say, uh, Derek is underplaying enormously here. He's a very gifted um, stage performer. <laughs> well, that's different, though, from giving a talk that, that has real meaning. I think sometimes... <laughs> My reputation is based on being entertaining and not, yeah. not necessarily being informative. Mm-hmm. And I really felt it today because I was speaking to an audience that had only basic English. Yeah. Um, and I didn't have a lot of my usual props. I couldn't use my laptop. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't really set up for the way that I do talks, uh, demonstration type things. So that meant it really stripped away a lot of my comfort. And I felt really raw. And uh, But the workshop was great, in part because I co-facilitated with uh, a, a woman from Moscow, from that school that I mentioned. And so we, we were able to introduce, I think, close to 40 teachers to mm-hmm. Scratch. Cool. Maybe half of them are already using Scratch mm-hmm. in their schools. Um, we We emphasized game design because that's often the nice. hardest thing. For teachers to get into, um, so yeah, it was great. And we, the first half of the workshop, I mostly presented my sort of techniques for mm-hmm. engaging students yeah. in designing a game together. And then the second part was mm-hmm. the the Russian teacher administrator talking about using Scratch across the curriculum. Mm-hmm. So cool. for history yeah. Yeah. and. Uh, Russian classes and uh, that's really something very cool. I think that it's hard yeah. to uh, pull off if you have not a uh, en- engaged workforce who really natively want to do that. You cannot yeah. basically not command it. I mean, you can command it, but it will not work. <laughs> and this was the perfect place to do it because we had a number of primary school mm-hmm. teachers who are responsible for <laughs> teaching all the different yeah. courses. Uh, but my favorite part was <clears throat> in between. A, a 10-year-old student from the very first school where I taught and visited, uh, he presented his Scratch game. Cool. So I was so fortunate that I, the college where I'm going to be teaching teenagers, the woman who teaches a parallel program mm-hmm. for teens at the college, talk about what a small world it is. Her son goes to the school that I visited first okay. and my first visited Moscow. And she was there mm-hmm. at the first scratch workshop that I gave in a Russian school. So when we met l- again last week, she reminded me that she was in the room when I taught scratch and that her son really enjoyed it and that he's still using scratch. So you had a good feedback. Yeah. And of course, my first thought was, oh, you've got to bring him to this workshop mm-hmm. so he could help yeah. the teachers. Uh, but we had so many more teachers that had used Scratch before that I wasn't expecting. Mm-hmm. So I was a little disappointed that they weren't asking him so many questions. Yeah, yeah. But then when he presented his game, his mother had been worried or she she basically told me, I don't know how comfortable he'll yeah, be yeah. speaking. He might not want to talk. He spoke Russian. Of, uh, he spoke Russian. Yeah. Uh, I spoke English for mm-hmm. the first half. He presented his game in Russian, mm-hmm. and actually, we couldn't get him away. He, wanted he was to so excited with his game, game, all the code. Yeah, cool. Uh, so he discussed so, his decode of his yeah, game. Yeah, and the more he talked about it, the more confident he yeah, was. Yeah, cool. Only uh, ten. ten maybe, cool. He might be eleven yeah, now. He was ten nice, when yeah, I was yeah. first here. But yeah, so great. Yeah. And he is going to be coming to 
some of the workshops I'm teaching for、mm-hmm. teens at the design college, and he's going to help me with Scratch when we introduce animation to the teens, and then he'll be there for the、um, HTML. The first day of web design, we'll do just HTML, maybe a tiny bit of CSS,、mm-hmm. uh, because I think now I, I do think it's very good for students to learn HTML first,、mm-hmm. but The main reason why I do it is, it's fun. I students really enjoy typing a little bit of code, opening up in a web browser, and having it display something. I'm sure you've had similar experiences. Actually, I had the inverse.、Uh, oh no!、Experience. I mean,、um, I have a lot of students I teach actually HTML, and they're also interested in that. But in Austria, the, at least the higher education have mandatory HTML. But I, I remember teaching、uh, young adults, twenty-year-olds,、uh, Microsoft Office skills, and there was a tiny bit of HTML in it, and they really hated it because they said,、oh, "Why must I type? I want to click with my mouse on shiny icons." <laughs> it can go both ways. Yeah, it would be interesting to see if if how much of it is presentation, but also. It sounds like it's inside a pretty rigid curriculum,、yeah. which is not a good way. So much. I have the advantage that I mostly do informal teaching, like you do after school. Okay. A- any summary of your experience in Russia so far? I did purposefully not qu-、uh, questioned about women. <laughs> ah. Well, I mean, not just、uh, you.、Uh, if I can sum sum you up so far,、yeah. you had a good experience. You was not、uh, seen as a former arch enemy from the Cold War, but more as a curiosity or the first、uh, American native speaker they probably have seen. And you had a met very friendly welcome. Is、yeah. that correct? Oh, absolutely. Even more so. I I feel like I've been so warmly、mm-hmm. welcomed. It, it, part of it might be starting with a conference, so I'm、mm-hmm. kind of hoping that you、yep. have a similar experience when you present, and also doing some some、uh, educational internet television、mm-hmm. stuff.、Uh, so it's、oh、kind God, of fun. Oh God, I completely forget. How was your your first time in Russian national、uh, education TV? You had、oh, a TV a show or something. I mean, the the first one I think I spoke about maybe on International Open Podcast number、mm-hmm. one or two、mm-hmm. or something like that.、Um, I'm trying to remember. No, because we did、I've、the first one. I've seen some YouTube videos you sent、that. me where,、yeah. where where you present in English, and I think then a narrator also、uh, explained it in yeah, Russian. Yeah, yeah.、Um, my favorite was the first one, in part because I、yep. didn't know what was happening. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't understand. I went. It was the same day that I went to the first school.、Mm-hmm. I went to a school in the morning, presented a scratch workshop,、mm-hmm. had a lot of fun with the kids.、Mm-hmm. Only maybe. Not more than twenty kids, maybe sixteen、yeah, yeah. to eighteen kids, and then the, this guy brings me to this television studio,、mm-hmm. and I don't really understand what's and happening. And you, you had a live audience there, or yeah, I had、no. a live audience. So we were on a sound stage. Can you with, explain what a sound stage is a bit? Yeah, so like when you see a news. Show、mm-hmm. or a game show,、yeah. anywhere they have one set stage with with multiple cameras set、yeah. up, and usually a studio audience. Like that's the classic. So to give real applause、stage. and real lo- yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah. So it really was.、Um, there were I'd say at least 
maybe 50 or 60 adults mm-hmm. and then maybe t- more than 20 students mm-hmm. or about 20 students yeah. maybe because initially there were probably 14 to 16 students who were kind of were on camera with computers but because I do things a little bit weird, mm-hmm. I actually brought all the people out of the audience onto the stage <laughs> at the beginning. Yeah. So right from the beginning of the show, you see everybody in the audience yeah. all together in a circle playing and this it, it game. And it was funny? Or... I don't, it was fun for me. Yeah. I, I think people got into it. They seem relatively happy. But had the audience computers? Or could they try out what you no. showed them? Only, there were two long tables mm-hmm. set up with laptops. Yeah. So initially, it was just a, half, about half the kids actually doing yeah, yeah. Scratch. And then there were these kids in the audience. Okay. And it felt really weird to me. I've never yeah, had that yeah. experience before, especially with kids. If it was just adults in the audience, it wouldn't have felt so as weird. So it was weird. basically kids without computer watching kids yeah, with computer. Yeah, yeah that yeah. felt weird. And we, we were designing games. So I... About partway through, I started to realize, I think we have enough time. Maybe I could switch yeah. and get the other kids to come. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I had that thought, I got really excited because I thought maybe I could engage the first group of kids mm-hmm. into to, helping the to second become group. teachers, yeah. And that worked so well that I was life. able to interact with the audience while the <laughs> first kids, kids taught kids, the second okay, yeah. kids. So it was really cool. And All um, I don't know if it was broadcast live. Okay, yeah. I don't know. But what was, uh, did some um, uh, regie or production guy come running to you? No, no, no. <laughs> no, but I think they must have been losing their mind <laughs> right from the beginning and <laughs> bringing everybody up. And then there were some, there were some Wi-Fi problems yeah, with my yeah. laptop. Okay. So there were, and the screen kept going out. Yeah. So it was, it was okay, the most surreal really experience. And, and uh, did the production guys love afterwards talk to you about this uh, not show? at all they <laughs> were very welcoming when i came back oh okay so uh, a few months it. later when i returned to moscow i found out that that show was very popular with teachers really? and with kids cool yeah kids enjoyed watching yeah. other kids learning yeah and, it, yeah and it's something it didn't surprise me so mm-hmm. much because i used to like watching shows like yeah. that when i was young mm-hmm. But the the people at the TV studio mm-hmm. were were definitely surprised, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they and we still don't know how much of it was that it was an American, yeah, yeah. that it was kids, that it was yeah. Scratch, but it was some something kind of never seen. Yeah, but what we mm-hmm. found out is that people were watching it as families, mm-hmm, cool. or people were watching it in schools, and mm-hmm. and um, I can only take a small amount of credit yeah, because yeah. so nice. much of it was. Mm-hmm unexpected and impromptu and and the kids but some you, of it you was get luck. no contract to do this show uh, no uh, no when i went back mm-hmm. in january i recorded another hour-long program mm-hmm. uh, you finish i've got plenty here and uh the hour-long program i did just one scratch project and that was just me on camera that was more of a traditional approach uh where i was just doing this on a franc But, but you're not some some kind of national TV TV. Uh, no, because now. it's it's internet TV, so oh, okay. it's, it's, it's not, not like not, I'm on some state channel. It's not broadcasted. Like uh, no, okay. But um, the TV studio is operated by the uh, the Moscow Department of Education, so, oh, so Moscow okay. has state its own. Sponsored. Okay, yeah. okay. Well. <laughs> 
but I'm hoping but that, think of impact I'm hoping that, that you get I mean, to see you're, 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 you're at least theoretically now can impact a whole generation in a whole country. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I do like that those shows are broadcast in all Moscow mm-hmm. City schools. Mm-hmm. So my hope is that at least there'd be some children or some yeah. teachers that are intrigued and want to explore more and kind of dig into this these creative computing things. Uh, but I always have to give a disclaimer, and I did it a lot today, where people are coming up and they assume that I'm a programming guru, <laughs> if not genius, especially if they see MIT yeah. or something. But I am so far from from any kind of programming master. Like you are a much deeper programmer than I am in teaching true programming. So that's something that I really celebrate. Uh, design is something that I'm more um, focused on, but I'm so happy that people are exploring all these new ways of using computers. Let's talk about today. You, uh, you had a little speech today at the international education fair Moscow. And also you had a workshop. Yeah. How was the workshop? The workshop was uh, was very rewarding, so mm-hmm. I really enjoyed having that kid there. I think he really made it oh, okay. work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and the, the workshop was for teachers. It was for teachers. Okay. So we had, I think, between thirty and forty, almost exclusively teachers. We set the limit at fifty people, and mm-hmm. we it, it intentionally invited teachers. And, and specifically mentioned primary school teachers mm-hmm. because that's, I think, the best fit for Scratch. Mm-hmm. And, and those were maybe the teachers that, that I thought wouldn't have as much experience with Scratch or as much exposure. But I was pleasantly surprised that so many mm-hmm. had used it before. Um, the talk was much more challenging. So I think that was more of a learning experience for me. But fortunately... I had been told to expect as many as 3,000 people in the audience, and it was closer to, like, 40, okay. which is a big difference. Uh, in fact, there were fewer people at my talk today than in um, in October, yeah. and, and I was much happier with that talk because I was able to demonstrate Scratch, and that was more challenging to do today. Something you look forward to for the next days of the International Education Fair Conference? The talk by Horst Jens from Vienna, Austria. I must confess that at this time of recording, this talk is not even finished. Uh, so <laughs> I'm still working on the slides. So I can But make I have absolutely this, no comment. I have this be. secret hope because I heard that the, the Secretary of Education for Austria... <laughs> was here yesterday and so my hope is that 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 person will be here on saturday and and so there'll be one native german speaker going why isn't he speaking german why is he speaking english i think it'd be hilarious uh, but maybe we'll to have my sickest uh, accent and what you should do if you meet you should say i've come all the way to from vienna to meet you <laughs> i better say nothing now well I ad- admire very much the capacity of Derek to, to speak fluently English after so much beer. <laughs> my, <laughs> mine is beginning to fade. But um, you notice no Russian. <laughs> no Russian, yeah. Well, um, we will experience Moscow education, international education yeah. fair Moscow yeah. in the next and days. And how about and in a day or two, we'll switch, we'll switch roles and, and I'll interview me. you. Okay. 
I think that would be really fun. Okay, I sadly have to finish now because my brain is starting uh, to uh, lose control. <laughs> and we're almost out of beer. So. Yeah, yeah, that's a good a good uh, indicator that the podcast should end for yeah. now. Uh, well, um, we will continue in a few hours. Das Vidania. Das Vidania. Wow, we really talked one hour. Issue 5, last part of uh, International Open Podcast with uh, Derek Bring and Horst Jens. So this is the part of the podcast where we get to hear Horst's impressions of Moskva, <laughs> Russia. Horst, what has been the most memorable parts of your weekend in Russia? There are a lot of pretty women here. Yeah? Yeah. You think more than Vienna? I think more than everywhere I was. <laughs> the density is, is extremely high. Ah, so overwhelmed by beautiful Russian women. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I normally feel a bit out of shape, but here I feel uh. like an ogre <laughs> walking. <laughs> so do, do you think that people are generally in better shape in Russia than in Austria or other oh, parts of Europe? Oh, well, um I did not notice that the men here look particularly attractive or slim or sportive, but I was uh, naturally more more looking at the woman. We discussed it uh, a previous night in a restaurant, mm -hmm. and your theory was, because it's it's incredible, there are a lot of very slim, very attractive women. And, and in the first days I come here, I asked you, do they have normal looking women also, or do they shove them off to some Siberian... Uh, town far away uh, but um, your theory if I remember was that the nutrition here is better it's not uh, so much processed food well uh, I think particularly in the 70s 80s yeah. maybe into the 90s so the uh, processed food came in in Europe and, and the US and, yeah. and other first world countries maybe decades before it did in Russia that's the sense that I have from talking to a few different people about this Because I also thought that people appeared more fit yep. in Russia, generally speaking. Um, interesting. But uh, in, in addition, it's not just beautiful women. You've had some other experiences in Russia. How about this Just, just let me finish at ah. uh, this point, uh, because uh, you also uh, philosophed that uh, maybe there's from the Soviet era a, a more broad uh, sports system, that sport mm -hmm. education is more a national priority. And, and that works. I have a sense of athletics for children. Maybe yeah. more children are encouraged to be athletic or, or maybe it's more integrated in the yeah. schools. But um, it's, it's really, I started philosophing, wow, we in the West with all, so my impression is that in Europe there's le less obesity than maybe is in US, but it's coming mm -hmm. and trending. And maybe in 10 years in Russia they will have the same uh, problems, but wow, what we, we give up. Or in national heat, so to speak, just for having cheap food. It's, it's a trade-off that no, no one um, consciously made. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, and that's something that you would think we would have started to learn because you, you have this impression of third world countries that mm. obesity isn't, yeah. isn't even an issue, that it's mm. something that... So it is really a first world problem. Rich man's problem. Yeah. Crazy. You also told me that uh, you spoke with teachers here. And they, they said that now in children camps, the first fat kids show up, but it's a phenomenon. It's not the norm. 
Yeah, what I said that we there were in, out of two hundred and fifty children at this camp where I was teaching, uh, where children were being gathered from different parts of Russia, not necessarily mm-hmm. cities. There were there were just a few children who were uh, who were overweight, and that possibly which is far from lower cities, than uh, what I'm from, used to. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. So from the from the eastern part of uh, Russia, all over the eastern part. So this conference. You you uh, had the experience now. You are of, now talking about international education conference. Yes, the international uh, um, Sorry, Mo- international Moscow, education fair. Mo- Moscow International Education Fair. Yes. Uh, although they there's a there's a different interpretation from in Russian, which I'm not remembering. Mm. But a few days ago, you presented. Could you yep. tell us a bit about your talk and how? It <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I was more or less invited by you. So you organized that uh, I got invited and I had really no idea about the crowd and about the level of English language skill of my audience and the level of um, computer skill or pre-knowledge. So I was not sure, do I talk to a lot of informatic professors who already teach that or do I talk to a standard crowd of uh, fair visitors? Mm-hmm. And, and then as I've seen the the very small um, room where the talk was all my panickers. I got completely away because I, yeah. I think, okay, this is uh, this room is smaller than most of the classrooms I, I hold yeah. workshops. So whatever the crowd is, I can handle that. It's yeah. not an intimidating crowd. And it was um, in this uh, huge uh, hall where the International Education Fair was. There were a lot of small, um, say, 10 by 10 meter rooms separated with walls so that you can have speeches or little conferences. And mm-hmm. I was one of the speech speaker in one of these little conference rooms. And we had a crowd of, I think, between 20 and 50 people, not even 50. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was nice. I had, uh, for the first time in my life, my own translator. It was a nice lady, and she I, I met her a bit before and, and spoke about and she said she was not too busy. She was booked for the, all the day of the conference, and she said me, to me she had one Spanish and one Greek hmm. guy to translate. But I think between them she had also pauses. So wow, how many languages does she speak? Did did she say? Um, no, no, she was always translating from English into oh, Russian. I see. So I see. the Greek guy spoke sure. his uh, Greek English, and she translated yeah. his Greek English yeah. into Russian. So English is the. So the, I should ask how many accents does she understand? <laughs> Possibly a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. And yeah, and and then uh, like uh, ten minutes. That the talk was scheduled for twenty-five minutes. I know that. And then I think ten minutes before I ask her, yes, you. Uh, translate simultaneous, should I speak slow? And she said, no, you speak one sentence, I translate. Uh-huh. <laughs> Before that, we timed our speech. I made yeah. a training with you and I know, okay, I must compress the speech a bit. And then basically she told me five minutes before you only have half the time because... Yeah. 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 But uh, I think I managed. Uh, I spoke about my experience um, teaching open source, about diverse um, German-speaking uh, education Linux distros, I know, and their failings and successes with teachers, I, I know, and a bit about my own experience, and I gave a bit overview about free software from Stallman. So I think it was a good round, rounded-up talk. Cool. And you said I uh, was photographed a lot? Yeah, yeah, there were several photographers yeah. there. I'd say at least three <clears throat> professional photographers. 
So you're probably all over Russian press this week. Yes, with my belly. <laughs> and at first I was thinking, yeah, they're now photographing me because I'm one of the few international speakers. But then you say they're photographing the slides. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, um, there were the attendees <laughs> yeah. were photographing the slides. Ah, so that was Will from People, the audience. Yeah, it was uh, them wanting to remember things mm, in your talk. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. So the the talk is online. It's a Google Doc talk, and on the talk on the left upper corner is a short URL oh, where cool. you can access so you can the, link to it in the show the, notes. Of course, it will be linked. Okay. And I, I got from Derek the idea to to maybe um, expand this talk and write a, some kind of essay or longer version of the talk with all the things I wanted to say. Yeah. And then I can hold this talk like Stolman over and over in <laughs> cities where I get travel <laughs> expense paid. And the last time we spoke, you hadn't been to the the fair yet. So what about general impressions of the fair itself, of the conference? Of the education fair? Yeah. yeah. Well, um, I can only compare to very smaller education fairs in Austria that I'm more familiar with. And I think all this education business is in the we sell dreams to parents business. Basically, they have... I, I, I've seen a booth in the education fair, Oxford Institute or something. The rest was Kyrillic. Yeah. I could not read. But I have seen the same Oxford something in, in Austria or Germany. So basically, if you're a rich parent, and then, of course, you want the best for your ch child, and, and this is the market that they are serving. Mm -hmm. So you... you take as much money from the parents as you can to make uh, give a good brand name that maybe has nothing to do with the real city of Oxford or the real University of Oxford. And hopefully that the outcome is not so bad. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a bit critical to all that because I was working in a, in a company who, who was a bit in this line of business, also selling high, high price education. And yeah, but basically, it's also my business. I sell computer courses for children. Of course, the children want it, but also the, the parents think yes, and my son will have a very good future because he can now programming in the age of 12. So we, we all sell dreams to parents. It's, <laughs> it, it was a bit going in my head. And the other expression that I can say is the... I felt I was one of the most international parts of this international education fair, so it was all in Kyrillic. Uh, at Saturday I was there, I have seen no one talk in English, so, mm -hmm. and generally speaking, I think it was more a national education conference, not an international, but it's okay. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I also have no insight how much maybe the international, uh, litty, um, was more about other uh, countries from the Kyrillic speaking hemisphere, mm -hmm. as a Kyrillic alphabet sure. hemisphere, like former Soviet republics and so on. That. Yeah, and that's... It's also valid to call that international. It's just not the international that I suppose as a Western. Yeah, it was tricky to navigate. There was an English language website that was a limited version of the full yeah, website, yeah, yeah. and they didn't translate the program, yeah. so it was only available in but, Russian. But why? I mean, the, the most international people were sellers who, who sure. were resellers, and for them to, to translate all it would have not been cost efficient. Yeah. And it didn't seem like there were services being offered beyond Russia. 
In other words, it was it was international people marketing to people in Russia. Yeah, exactly. It didn't that. seem like there were Russians trying to market to international. No, no, that that would ma really make sense at a global education fair. But f maybe yeah. it is also the the business of education fairs is very local because you mm -hmm. basically sell to the local parents. Yeah, I've seen Microsoft have a have a booth. Um, I've seen German uh, companies. I was very impressed how. how how strong uh, Germany is in exporting business mm -hmm. in fields that I was not associating with, with it, like education business and Fischer Technik is, some, is a toy like Lego that I played with as a child. They make education games. And then what I really loved, I, I had the opportunity to speak with some students who, um, of a university. They were marketing their university and they had like a, a little um, drone. It was some, say a toy a toy buggy, and they uh, flanged on Raspberry Pi or Arduino into it and made it remote control, oh. and then they showed a quadrocopter with a Raspberry Pi. So it's exactly the same uh, kind of projects that hackerspaces in Vienna will do, or, or good universities or good technical high schools with an engaged professor all over the world. They're now all playing with the same open source tools, with the same hardware like the Raspberry Pi, applying it to the same technique like drones, It's it's very cool. It's it's like a like a global move, global concision, so global movement of hackers and and that coming infiltrating education. I was very happy about yeah. that. Did you want to say something about that? There was kind of a parallel event happening for kids in the same huge complex on the other side when we went in where the they had the kids with all the robotics yeah stuff. i was only short visiting it um you possibly best waited to tell about it because I, ah, well I they it so was much. almost like they were they were waiting <clears throat> for you as soon as we went into that room there were these people waltzing on the stage do you remember yeah uh, this was very pretty uh, but i did not understood if it was to entertain the crowd or if they make uh, advertising for dance school or something i think it was purely entertainment but because that whole event was about robotics competitions mm -hmm. so they wouldn't i don't think they'd be yeah. marketing dance schools in a robotics competition i went in a few times and they had different different entertainments basically trying to keep it going because it, that competition had been going for four days, yeah. which seems like a long time for robotics, but people from all over Russia. Yeah. So nice. tons of students. Yeah. Um, okay. I, so, must, I and, must chip in. There is an yeah. international robo, um, I think robo, so like robot um, worldwide soccer games, but they are in Vienna each year. And there are teams from all over the world competing. So there's robo sumo where you build little robots. They, sumo wrestling and robo football and some mm -hmm. other challenges i, I was uh, covering that once you know cool. german podcast is very cool is that something you've ever been interested in doing with your students who you're teaching programming to yeah let's say a bit interesting but actually that that is more to logistic and financial problems if i have now five students i would need five kits of a robotic hardware usually they're expensive and, and not scale very well yeah so i i concentrate on software because this is more my strong part sometimes children come to me, me with with their own hardware kits and i help mm -hmm them uh, mostly the programming part mm -hmm. but um i'm i did not found out a, a way of doing business with with hardware cost efficiently if i would have unlimited phones i could buy unlimited uh pieces of lego mindstorm or whatever sure but it's it's more a financial question for me 
Also something simple like Mitch Altman is doing these uh, soldering workshops for kids. I mm -hmm. admire this greatly. I think that is very great. But for that, you need a set of soldering workplaces. So you need a place where you can do that. Yeah, big, uh, you need really good ventilation. That, and, and you need a lot of sets of soldering irons. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure how, how much workshops I really could do with them. So... Mm -hmm. If I buy only two, it's it's not cost. So I would never get the money back sure. from just having two students. And if I buy ten for having maybe three students, it's not, so I, I pay enough to have a good computer hardware, and I concentrate more on the software at the moment. I think that makes good sense. How about the the place where the the fair was happening? The this exhibition center. In yes, this is a, a very nice uh, place with gigantic uh, Soviet style uh, statues of working heroes and a big Sputnik, I think. And yeah, it's it's a, it's a nice place. Uh, sadly, we had bad weather, so we could mm -hmm. not fully enjoy it. But I think it's a nice spot to be in Moscow if uh, if it's sunny and warm. I could figure, because there were no cars, mm -hmm. a giant car-free zone with little lunar park. And yeah, it must be nice to go there for conferences. Or and there was a surprise for you in the lunar park, uh, uh, something from home. Do you remember you had to take a photograph of one thing in the amusement park? Yes, there, um, there was one, how, how you say... A roller coaster. Uh, a roller coaster, mm -hmm. and um, it had a German name, Wilde Maus. So I think it is uh, somehow transferred from Munich Oktoberfest or from oh. a German uh, roller coaster. Oh, it was traded for something, but it, it was sure. funny to see Musk a uh, roller coaster advertising a German name. And then we we spent some time away from the conference yesterday. Let, let me. Uh, Recap the conference oh, because that's sure. more possibly more, oh, yeah. more interesting yeah. for the audience. Um, yeah, um, I must say uh, it was a real pleasure to walk with Derek around in Moscow and uh, go on uh, education fair with him because every five minutes was some very interesting person. Is hello Derek and like this TV guy who has run this TV show, mm -hmm. educational TV, you said, mm -hmm. and then some several um, women who were entrepreneurs in the education scene and all speak perfect English and were, had exciting products there. The one, I think she's selling wood, wooden toys. Mm -hmm. to, yeah, wooden kits for making bridges and houses yeah, uh, for engineering principles. That's, uh, that was very cool. Yeah. And then uh, we met uh, Pavel. Mm -hmm. Pavel and we have him on interview. Yeah. So you probably yeah. now hear it already or yeah. depending on how I cut this. And he asked me some question and then he had very interesting insights for me about Russian education system and uh, government uh, push behind education. Mm -hmm. It was very well, it was, it was for me a very rich uh, experience uh, meeting all these people and it was made uh, because I attached myself to Derek. <laughs> oh, well, my pleasure. It's like I'm your scout. Yeah, I, yeah. I get to Moscow a few. So you should make a business out of it. Uh, let's meet interesting people in Moscow. Yeah. Just <laughs> or you send me to different cities, and I'll, I'll yeah, and you find will uh, you will magnetize like the, the dog on the fox hunt. You yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're the lure. <laughs> interesting people. Yeah. Cool. Anything else about the conference? Um, yeah. I think it was a fair, not a conference. You was in the mm -hmm. conference part. I was yeah. only in the exhibition yeah. part. Um, yeah, some, yeah, of course, on a, on a fair, 
you always have the people more dressed up and the girls are more pretty and, and all people are selling something. So it's, it's a bit, um, an overdressed situation, yeah. but it was extremely extreme because I think it was in Moscow. And one, one little detail I have not seen in other countries, at least not in, in center, central Europe countries. And that was the, they were closing the fair. We were on the time of leaving and then, um, some young people from a booth, I think for university or something. Um, one girl was sta uh, starting dancing and the others made a circle and uh, clapped and, and then uh, a boy joined in. So they made a, some kind of Cossack dance uh, too, but it was very, very nice. It was spontaneous. Yeah. And I think, well, that's, that's a nice place where, where the young people age. 20 something, uh, spontaneously break into dance just to celebrate the, um, that a work day is finishing and now it's the party time is starting. Yeah. It was not like they're making uh, fake hip hop moves and popping <laughs> uh, their heads. It was real, real dance. And uh, I enjoyed that uh, really. Cool. I think it speaks about the mentality of the youth here. And does it, is it make you curious to go to other such events in other countries? Do you, do you think it's worthwhile to be tr going to events like this in different countries to get different perspectives? Or is it still pretty similar to what you're used to from other even, types Even as a foreigner who don't know Russian, who cannot read Kyrillic, uh, I had the impression it's... It's the same everywhere. So, so yeah. the same, uh, the, the students in the technical schools are uh, showing the same cool projects to attract students, uh, pondering the same questions, how I make drones, how I make cool robotics. The um, salesmen in the institutes like uh, Oxford's Institute of Learn Really Good English trying to, with the same arguments, sell the same courses to the same rich yeah. parents. <laughs> yeah. uh, so if you're not a salesperson or not, so for a salesperson, it, it may be worth uh, going to different markets. But uh, for shopping, as a, as a consumer side, I think it makes not much sense to go somewhere else, maybe for price differences. But, yeah. but if you have one daughter or one kid, um, you would shop education where, where you live. I think that makes most sense of where you intend to live. Well, I guess I, would, I meant for you specifically, not for parents. Oh, well, but, uh, for, for yeah. the message that you okay. might want to spread. Well, this is this very specific. I, I, I think the, the message of, of uh, free software open source in education should be spread. But um, I, I dubbed as even a free software foundation are very active in, in Russia. If, uh, um, I'm not sure even if they have a localized organization or similar organization. And of course, um, it would be important for such lobby groups who are not directly selling, but just lobbying their ideology or whatever, uh, to be present at such fairs. Um, but it's uh, everywhere in the world. It's a manpower problem. You you need the people uh, man the boot. You you need some contacts to get a, a boot for free or for very cost efficient, or you must attach to yourself to a boot of a government organization or big company. Mm -hmm. That needs connections. That needs uh, um, constant work and and um, and an um, organization in the background who can year-round work such contacts and make such deals. And then you still need the people. And and then it would of course make sense to have speakers in in that most, many locations as possible. I was not sure if this conference was very much visited by teachers. I, I think I had some teachers in the audience, according mm -hmm. to the questions I get later. 
but I had more the impression it was uh, for parents with to decide where I go with my children. Or there were many teachers there. Why was there uh, as a teacher? Um, but it was hard to have a sense. I I did a workshop that was mm. entirely teachers, okay. maybe just a few parents. So it it was also but, for teachers. So yeah, definitely yeah. teachers were going there. Some were bringing their entire classes mm. but i think in some cases they they might not have been in the areas where we were uh, okay, okay. as much because we were seeing a lot of stuff marketed to so for free parents. software and some education directly would to make kids. sense uh, yeah it would make sense to be present yeah it seemed like yesterday saturday was yeah. was yeah, a lot more day. parents yeah, yeah. Ah, okay kids, maybe that's that's my smaller impression. families versus yeah, classes yeah. yeah and we got there um <clears throat> More towards the afternoon mm -hmm. the previous day and, and we were kind of more in one area. Mm -hmm. Cool. I can add a teeny bit of Moscow general yeah, experience. Yeah. We were in a, how you say, in an underground tunnel, a tunnel Metro. crossing the streets. Oh, right. So, we did not cross the street. Yeah, there are uh, tunnels that are not tied to the metro at all. Yeah, just a, a street this. crossing tunnel, is yeah. that correct? And there uh, were two musicians, one cello, one uh, violin. I have mm -hmm. that on camera, I have to upload it on YouTube. And they made very high quality music, I must say, because I'm from Vienna, I'm, I'm used that music students make a bit classical music in the pedestrian zone. But this was really high class, uh, high, high quality what they did. Mm -hmm. I was hugely impressed. Cool. And what about the metro? Yeah, metro. Uh, metro is a sure experience. Um, they have um, gigantic metro stations. They are very deep under the earth. We speculated if they dump uh, us nuclear bunkers, yeah. <laughs> and um, and they are all very beautiful. So every what you told me, they are all, each is a bit individual. Mm -hmm. It's a different design, and they're like, yeah, it's. It, I think this must come from Soviet era that there was, we make for the workers yeah. who daily go to work, we make the palaces not for the rich, but for the workers. So you, you have a bit the impression this is not, uh, this is a mix of, from a, this is a metro station with the outfitting and the grandeur of a palace. So I think this is very nice yeah. because it gives value to the pedestrian and not to the car driver. So, so I, I like that. Yeah, I haven't seen any other <clears throat> metro stations anywhere in the world with chandeliers. Yeah. Or that that are meticulously cleaned yeah, every yeah. day. Like, yeah. really pretty incredible. And I notice more people meeting. The the center's platforms are like meeting places. Yeah. They're socialized so places. You basically have people a public have their place, dates a there. public place underground. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes sense, I think, because I hear the weather is very harsh, long, long months yeah. in the year. yeah. <clears throat> and what about was there any other highlights from yesterday was really the only day where you had more time day, yeah. <laughs> well um, I noticed that um, I'm, despite this tradition of um, we, we speculated that in Soviet time uh, individual motorization so that each um, family has his own car was not a top priority mm -hmm. but despite that Moscow is now very Traffic, um, as I said, the streets are six lanes mm -hmm. road, even closer to the center, and it's full of cars. Yeah. And uh, of course, I would love to live in a city without cars. That's yeah. my my ideal ideology. More like Amsterdam. And and I think that that in cities like Amsterdam, the, they are far more wider by valuing the pedestrian uh -huh. and the cyclists. 
and I have not seen that in Moscow yet. Can can be a part because of the temperature, so because maybe in, in the winter months it, it would be bad idea to cycle. Or, yeah, we didn't or see any. I don't remember seeing one bicycle yeah. yesterday. Yes, Some there, there push seen, scooters. Yeah, like but there seems no be bicycle uh, culture here yeah. yet. Maybe that will change. Uh, Moscow had a lot of changing, I think, over the last years. Yeah, you don't really see bicycle lanes. Yeah, yeah. On, on these so they're, they're still uh, <laughs> doing all the bad things uh, the Western cities yeah. did in the 60s and yeah. 70s. They do them now. like. And it would be it would be very difficult to bring bicycles onto the metro here, because, not just because they're so crowded, but there are pretty long distances yeah. at transfer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we went to one very prominent <clears throat> tourist place yesterday and one sort of hidden away nerdy tourist place well the, the best place to be in moscow is of course the soviet time arcade machine museum yeah. <laughs> i'm very thankful you brought me there and uh, i was a bit sick and tired and as soon as i entered i was completely good healed yeah. and yeah this is a little cafe run by young people if i understood mm -hmm. that correctly uh, you can eat burgers there if I mm -hmm. so they seem to have a good kitchen and It's uh, two floors of um, Soviet arcade game machines from the 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. uh, this was very nice piece of hardware, and you you get a little push, push, punch, push, a uh, little sack, or, punch yeah, yeah. Uh, of uh, 15 kopeke uh -huh. coins uh, that you need to operate them, and yeah, and then you can play along. Some machines were not in good working order. Like you tried a flipper, and it was yeah. very weak, so yeah. you had not even the, the pinball machine. Pinball. And and some uh, the hardware, the joysticks or so, were were not really functioning. But what I admired was that they remembered me on early, very early arcade machines of the 70s. I, I mm -hmm. saw as a child where electronic was not was maybe too expensive or not that developed. So a lot of the mechanic was mechanic. So like you had really um, mechanical, or you should say if it is a shooting game where you shoot on targets, mm -hmm. there's really metal uh, pins with a, um, with a paper figure mm -hmm. and, and the pin is moving And, and moving the paper figure and you have to try to, sh to shoot it. And I was most fascinated by a submarine simulator with really this uh, telescope, periscope, periscope, periscope uh -huh. with a rubber uh, yeah. fronting so you can really press your head against it. And, and, um, it, and one was opened. I have that photographed, so I will link yeah. it. To it and you could really see the mechanics there. It's really part mechanic and part electric. It would be a nice project to remake. And, uh, well, you see little uh, ships, they're moving left to right, but sometimes they change direction or move at different speed. And then you can launch a torpedo. But the, the cool thing is the torpedo has a delay. So for the first seconds, you don't even know if it's launched. Then you hear a splash. And then you see with a light indicator, you see the torpedo moving and if you really manage to hit uh, then the very cool effect uh, the wool box is darkened the light is out and you see only a red light uh, showing the, the exploding ship so it, it was with very primitive tools uh, was a very cool effect made yeah. and yeah you must um, how you say um, aim before the target aim before the target a lot mm -hmm. Yeah, and then we, we played one version that was even a two-player version. 
But it was somehow not so good for me. So yeah. it was not never clear who is shooting and uh, but it was more difficult with an island in the middle so you you could not always shoot at the ships they were hiding behind the island. And yeah. each of the arcade games had a placard with the date yeah. that it was created. What did you what, how did the dates compare? Like say well, a game from 1986. I, I remember or that uh, most of the uh, placards say the game was from the 80s, mm-hmm. but I guess maybe that was the time they bought the machine or, or so. So I, I think the machines were older, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure. Well, could be researched. My impression, if I remember the 80s correctly, we had, uh, at least in, in Vienna, we had far more modern um, arcade machines, mostly coming from Japan. Mm-hmm. Ja- and so they had electronic color display. I think none of the Soviet arcade machines had actually real uh, color. They were all black and white yeah. and, with, and the color was always made with tricks like uh, uh, slides. Yeah, except uh, that that snake game I think had color, wasn't it? With, yeah, yeah, that, that had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was uh, like a but very rudimentary controls, like yeah. But yeah. yeah, for the most part, it was just like black, white. one two bit or whatever yeah, yeah. it would be for black and white. But but they had Not really in, ingenious um, mix of, of real hardware with with electronic or with mirror techniques. Like this one game, I could not uh, play it, but I, I was very fascinating to watch it. It was a car driving sport car driving simulator. So you had a steering wheel. And then you see it like a little um, toy train landscape, mm-hmm. but it was basically a circle, but you could not see all of the circle, just the upper half, more or mm-hmm. less. And there were fixed uh, real toy cars attached to it, so and they moved with different speed. And you had to steer your car, but your car was de facto a hologram. I think they made it with a half-transparent mirror. Yeah. And uh, that was very cool. So you had to calculate the speed of the others, and they will... Um, be faster than you, but coming from behind. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it was a very nice concept. Yeah. Cool. And just any other impressions as you're, this is your last day, you'll be heading yeah. to the airport in a few hours. Yeah, I must say I'm very attached to this hotel room in the yeah. Holiday Inn Hotel. So yeah. if you don't travel to Moscow, I can personally recommend that, especially if you get it paid. <laughs> and because it is good internet and yeah. What about the food? Yeah, I get some taste of Russian food, the Bosch, you mm-hmm. let me coast. And we were in the Hotel Cosmos in a Russian restaurant. Yeah. This was also very nice. It was a restaurant without alcohol. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found the concept very nice. It was full of families and it was a self-service. So you had an all-you-can-eat buffet with Russian specialties, but also normal food like schnitzel or potatoes. Yeah, um, Lot and of about, cucumber, I think. Oh, uh, yeah. And fish, fish, I noticed, is mm-hmm. prominent. And you, how have you been starting your days in this hotel? Well, with uh, American breakfast, you told me they have big breakfast. But at the moment, there's too many people there, so we're doing yeah. podcasts and wait yeah. <laughs> until the riffraff has eaten so that we can dine like kings. <laughs> Cool. It's been so much fun sharing a bit yeah. of Moscow. It's my first time showing people around a city that I only barely know. This city is so huge, I, and I only know a I few I speculate areas. here that you would make far more money by just being Derek and, and uh, introducing other people to the interesting people you know everywhere. As soon nerd as you're tours. there, nerd tours, make Derek nerd tours. <laughs>
Cool. Thank you so much for joining me here. Hey, of no problem. Thank you for arranging this invitation. Yeah. And so for everyone that's listening, uh, Moscow is tourist friendly there and, and nerd friendly. Yeah. They're nerd places. They're interesting people. And maybe maybe it's better to come in in summer time. <laughs> so, yeah, or in, we, in spring, we, late spring. You actually experienced snowfall. I had in yesterday's snow. I mean, that's typical. Mid- that's how it should be. Yeah. <laughs> I was on the red square, mm-hmm. uh, and it was snowing and cold. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it seemed appropriate. Yeah. But today it looks bright and yeah. quite a bit warmer. So difference that a day makes. I must say that the most difficult uh, thing to travel to Russia is possibly uh, getting the visa beforehand. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, there was some complications uh, that I learned. Uh, so like you need uh, someone from Russia to invite you. You cannot just say, I want to visit Russia. Mm-hmm. And the bigger hotels can help you with getting this visa. Yeah, pretty much uh, any hotel, even the smaller yeah, ones. Uh, the smaller, no, um, too, and now yeah. there are online services to, yeah, to expedite yeah. it, but it's not clear, especially yeah. the first time you're going through that. Yeah, because I just showed the email that I'm invited as a speaker and, and mm-hmm. it was not enough. And then the organization um, wrote a formal so invitation and that was acceptable. But yeah. I had to go two times to the embassy to learn that. and. Mm-hmm. Well, it was all in all not terribly difficult or expensive. It's, it's just something you're not used to as a, yeah. a tourist traveling to Europe. And we were wondering if, if as um, <clears throat> Russia is trying to pull past the, these financial difficulties, that maybe they could increase tourism by at least streamlining the visa process, if not really... Yeah. I really that, taking a look at whether there's some way to to lift visa restrictions for tourists, some yeah. kind of, or even if if the visa was just a one step uh, guy by the embassy, so you just go to the embassy, buy, pay ten euros, and get a stamp. Yeah, that that would yeah. also <laughs> they make it overly complicated. I think. Yeah, and I think you have to missing, go twice. You have to yeah, drop off yeah, your, yeah. your passport. And yeah, then they go need back. five days. I think to, yeah. to get that. And I, I think that they could really do tourism. I mean, that uh, there is a lot to see in, in from a Soviet Union and in Russia. Mm-hmm. It's a big country with uh, very, how should I say, fascinating people, fascinating history. Yeah. Uh, they could, they could it's, open up. it's been even more complicated for me because I've often been in foreign countries yeah. trying to get a visa for Russia. Yeah. So. And you think Russia is special... So you need to travel to other countries to get to your Russia visa. Yeah, so if you're on a vacation and you think, mm. oh, I'd like to go to Russia, yeah, it, yeah. it's not something you can just do on yeah, a menu. Yeah, yeah. You almost have to go back to your own country and go through this process. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you're doing it abroad, the, one of the challenges is they have your passport for five yeah, days. Yeah, yeah. So you can't go anywhere else. Yeah, it, yeah. So it's it, it's just a little bit extra, mm. uh, but hopefully worth it when you're... Something uh, I want to add, because if you're in Western countries, you mostly read the catastrophic or the political things that are not so good in Russia. Yes. And one of them is is censorship. And so, and here, at least in the hotel, uh, we had good download uh, speed for internet. Mm -hmm. And um, I was surfing a lot. The only site I could not reach was one Ingur picture. I I don't know why. but uh, I could uh, read old German and English uh, news site, American mm-hmm. TV shows, 
it was in a user Pirate Bay's blog. Yeah, the only the only website I haven't been able to yeah, access uh, since I've been here is Pirate Bay, which seems to be internationally or uh, nationally blocked. Uh, and what what I, I know, think. but now, now I repeat here stuff that I read myself in the newspapers, yeah. is that um, that there is censorship, of course, uh, but it's not uh, necessarily for English websites mm -hmm. uh, because that makes no sense for the Russian government uh, to censor the elite. But they they uh, make have influence of the Russian uh, newspaper and media productions, mm -hmm. and and that is what the major majority reads. I think this plays to the role who can speak English and who can read English. Yeah. And and what I heard, yeah, there's something very important that I wanted to to add that the young population, also the Dolmetsch told me that the young population uh, is educated in English in the mm -hmm. schools and they can can. Communicate in English, yeah. and maybe I, I wonder if that will have political implications. If if th this generation goes older, get more times to vote and mm -hmm. get the information from from abroad. But the broad mass, uh, like older people, like people over thirty, forty, you typically expect them not to understand English. That's also my mm -hmm. experience here with with street vendors. And yeah, maybe over fifty or yeah, like yeah. um, yeah. Uh, and and I must certainly say it's in not different industries, so much different in Austria. Though. Sure, but we're also meeting we're meeting a lot of people in education and in technology. Those are the sectors yeah, where yeah, it's yeah. most likely to be English yeah. speaking. Yeah. But one very nice thing was we were going in this education fair, and before in the street there were a lot of school children, and somehow some children overheard us speaking English with each other, and a little boy was coming saying, hello, mister, or something, yeah. and then he was so proud yeah. to uh, start a communication in English, even if he don't really know uh, how to continue this education. And uh, at the education fair, we were wandering around, there were some young girls doing marketing for, I did not fully understood for what, and they all spoke to you and tried to give you their papers or something, and then you said, ah, no, I speak only English, and that was so nice, they were blushing and red and then hiding behind each other, but uh, still trying to communicate with you with a little English, what they could, and it was very sweet to, to see the people generally enjoying to have a foreigner where they can speak English for the first time in their life, maybe with someone who is not a teacher, but someone who is genuinely a native speaker, and this was very, very worth the visit just to make these people happy to speak English with them. As yeah, they. I find Russia, and at, at not just Moscow, but when I was in Vladivostok a few weeks ago, um, if anything, people are apologizing for not being able to communicate fluently with you, or they feel so bad, they, they seem so disappointed in themselves if, yeah. uh, rather than some places like there are some stereotypical cities that I won't name where you go and and you and you you you're made you're shamed for not being able to communicate in the language of the city where you're visiting like, yeah, I've yeah. never <laughs> felt that in Russia I've always That's only it. felt that that so people the, the contrast are, to the French so, attitude, like yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so here it's really yeah. about hospitality and yeah, and, 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 and being so welcoming. And yeah, kind. yeah, I must also say I'm I'm very impressed with the Russian people, so with this friendliness and yeah, cool. The people I met here, of course. Awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess we could sign off and we can head back to the incredible we, we try holiday and breakfast buffet. American breakfast. Yeah. <laughs>
And, it, and it's actually, it's a mix. It's a, an interesting mix of American and Russian and international cuisine. So it seems like there's no complete thing. So you yep. probably won't find your favorite thing, but uh, it's an interesting mix. Yeah. Sort of like our whole weekend. <laughs> Podcast, yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, international open buffet. Uh, <laughs> please, uh, uh... Uh, take the time to listen to what Pavel said in this oh, podcast. Yeah. Uh, I will possibly cut it so that is now coming this part. Oh. Pavel's uh, questions and especially Pavel speaking about the government education situation in Russia. And yeah, um, the next uh, podcast will be recorded at an unknown time in the future. Yeah. Someday, somewhere. Someday, somewhere. Uh, meanwhile, if you find interesting articles for International Open Magazine, please send them to me. I will ask the authors for republishing rights. They're usually granted to me. Cool. And if you know of any other big international events, especially tied to education and open source, uh, please send them our way and we'll see if we can get there and be invited to a holiday inn. <laughs> and if you want to meet the most beautiful ladies in the world, just attach yourself to Derek. <laughs> he uh, will introduce them to you all. Yeah. Cool. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Have, a, have a beer for me. Dos vidania. Dos vidania. Baka. <laughs>in uh, Austria and maybe in Europe, if you know this, and uh, uh, we have some uh, key point indicator for the education system uh, to find out is it uh, community work good or not good uh, in terms of uh, development of the processes of uh, migrating education systems from proprietary software to free software. Okay. So the key questions that we have is the percent of uh, schools and universities uh, which is using uh, GNU Linux operating systems uh, instead of Windows. Okay. So you t uh, take the percentage of uh, universities using free software as an indicator for the free software acceptance yes. in the education landscape. And uh, this free software mean not, for, for example, Firefox. Yeah, or no, no, Open, really, really operation, operation system, system okay. on the desktops. On the desktop, yes. Because everyone is using free software uh, on the servers. Yeah. And everyone is yeah. using kind of Firefox or Google Chrome. Now, I fear. I must disappoint you here, yes. I know from, so I know more from schools than I know from universities yeah. and technical uh, high schools and technical universities. Mm -hmm. I think there is a higher percentage of technical uh, education universities or colleagues who stayed with, uh, start with 18 years and then mm -hmm. finish with an academic degree at like 22 years. They mm -hmm. have sometimes computer labs running dual boot or running completely mm -hmm. Linux. But uh, I can safely say 
to my knowledge, at least in Austria, the typical computer lab in a gymnasium, in a school where you enter with 10 and leave with 18. It's mostly the computer lab itself has mostly Windows computers and sometimes Apple computers. And only if the teacher is very interested, he will have set up a Linux um, computer room, a computer lab. We are also with Linux on the desktop. And what's the situation in the elementary schools, uh, middle um, schools education? The elementary schools, I understand this is a primary school where you enter with six years old and live with ten yeah. years old. Are we talking about the same yeah. thing? To my knowledge, they seldom have designated computer labs. They sometimes have, uh, or mandatory, have one computer in each classroom. And this is typically a Windows computer. But don't need to be very much depend on the administrator, and sometimes it depends on the funding. Like if the school is run also paid for by the government, usually the gymnasium and higher educations also, um, then they have government contracts usually with Microsoft, and they get that paid, so they have very low motivation to actually do something different. If in in the other case, it's an elementary school run by the district or run by the little village. Then there's a higher chance that someone has a clever solution. Okay, so how do you feel, or maybe you know this exactly? Is it situation became better or worse? So is it uh, percentage of uh, rising computers or, uh, rising or going down? In summary, if, if you include the Android devices that are finding their way in the classroom, the percentage is raising if you yes. count them also. But if but, you just uh, from the, there, for example, Windows, Linux, yeah. and Mac OS. I have no hard data for that. I, I don't believe that Linux is very much rising, if at all. Maybe maybe a bit because so the awareness in the general populace is, is rising. I really can't say. I have no hard data, but uh, yeah, I don't. I don't have seen a rush or some peak Linux. If at all, it's a slow, a slow rising, and it's more that more young um, educators and more admins have knowledge about free software and then starting to applying them and using it. So it's 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 not. If you ask a, a normal person about free software, at least they have heard about it. So the, the amount of awareness is rising, and that slowly will, will rise also the hardware base, but not fast. Okay, so situation is improving, but uh, we still don't uh, improving or stagnant. Have, um, I can make a dissipated statement to that. Minds. I think in my mind, the countries I know, I speak here from Austria mostly, and, and maybe uh, Germany, they're too rich to care. So if, if some, some government contract has paid uh, uh, unlimited Windows licenses for every school, why should they care? The, sometimes uh, the parents have to pay for the school, uh, or the ad additional pay that the students or the parents demand good computer labs and then they pay something. And then it depends on the parents. Usually if you have a big group of parents, they are not so well educated computer-wise and some rich parent and say, yes, I want to have them Windows because I work with Windows. I want that my son is fluent in Windows. So, Also a case of being too rich. <laughs> okay, thank you. And uh, another question uh, is uh, about uh, free and open source hardware. 
Yep. Um, what do you say about the uh, situation with hack spaces, uh, fab labs, and some kind of makers movie movement? Like well, uh, I see that that's definitely rising around the world. So also in rich countries yes, <laughs> like us. Austria. about Austria and your country. Yeah. So my best knowledge is uh, Austria and Germany, and I, I see the, um, the amount of hackerspace is rising. You may know that hackerspace uh, movement is original from Germany. Yeah. Yes, uh, because um, Californian hackers were visiting um, uh, Berlin hackerspace, I think, mm-hmm. and then transporting the idea back, even if the whole computer movement or hackers movement come from yeah. California. It was very big hacker conference in yeah. Germany. This is the uh, Chaos Computer Conference. Yes. I can recommend everyone to go there. It's mm-hmm. always in the end of December in Hamburg. I was mm-hmm. there. It's, it's really big. It's like the Burning Man Festival of Nerds. Mm-hmm. But to your question, yes, I see rising um, acceptance and rising usage of uh, open hardware or not so close hardware like the Raspberry Pi, who is not complete open, if I understand yes, that. Yes, I know this. Uh, I see that rising. Okay, uh, so in, in Russia I see some geeks who now move the workstation to the um, uh, onboard computers like Kubi uh, board. Okay. So they take it to the bed mm-hmm. and just put keyboard, mouse and monitor wherever they are and they use it as for some uh, job that we done, for example, for music. And okay, they also yeah. use it as an office computer, like email okay. and some documents. Do you see something like this in Austria and Germany? Not in uh, general schools in a, in a large amount, but it's, def- it's rising in the technical uh, specialized schools and everywhere where you have a good teacher, a passionate teacher about technology, he will uh, experiment with his devices at home and he will try to make that with his students. Mm-hmm. Okay. <coughs> uh, so, um, what's the middle age of the Linux geek now? In the Austria? Linux geek? Yeah. And what's the situation? The, the, I, I must, I must say, I cannot speak for Austria. I only can speak for my own, okay, uh, the okay. people I know. That it may be very Your subjective. Yes, okay. yes. I say, well, the, the Linux geek, a young Linux geek, can start fairly young, uh, um, often because of the parents. If the parents confront, uh, I feel that actually I have da- a bit data of that because I teach uh, children game programming. And usually the children come to me between age 10 and 13, 15. And I notice that even the younger children know more about Linux. They are not, um, they don't know much about it, but they know it from their parents. So I think already our generation is giving this wisdom to their children, to the next generation. So they, they start fairly young and, and sometimes have experience with a Raspberry Pi because the papa usually buy one and then the children play with it. Okay, and um, <coughs> what is uh, 
going on and what uh, thinking about the uh, sector of mobile operating systems. And now we uh, looking uh, at a new stage of uh, competence Competition, competition, competition uh, between, uh, between um, different mobile platforms like Android, Sailfish, OS, Firefox, OS, Tizen. And uh, do you see something uh, in your city about this? Actually, I see because I have a bit contact with hackerspaces and podcasters. I run a podcast in German language where very hardware-interested people are using Sailfish and, and uh, trying to always to have the newest open source uh, or free software operation system on their mobile devices. But I have never seen outside a hackerspace or outside a technical nerd circle anyone mentioning one other operation system other than Android or... No, inside hackerspaces you can find such people, but not on the street. To my knowledge, it's it's uh, they're still in the nerd bubble and not <laughs> not becoming a mass phenomenon like everyone has having Android now. Mm-hmm. And what is uh, going on with the kind of biological hacking? Like maybe you know the company from USA, dangerous things. I only know these chips that yes, you can yes, uh, project in, and then you can go have an access card or something. Yeah. I never have personally seen something. I just read about it, so I mm-hmm. no, no, no less about that than Do you. Do you know people who make implant these uh, chips? Um, I'm not sure. There is an artist group from Austria who is very famous. He is, is monochrome from Johannes Grenzfurtner. Mm-hmm. Maybe he had some art action with, with such a thing. I'm not sure. But I personally know no known of them. I think it can become trendy if if it has advantages for the people, like having a Bitcoin wallet in, in your skin, but uh, I have not yeah. seen it yet happen. I um, visited one hacker conference, a very small and closet in uh, Finland, and there they suggest everyone who wished to make implantation of this. Uh, and, uh, the guy that who I know make this and then I meet him uh, six months later and ask what's uh, experience and depressions and he said that it seems that this solution now is a little bit useless and only, only pass to the metro station that he really <laughs> can do. Maybe there's big, um, big market uh, possibility in the medicine um, sector if, if you can have mm-hmm. some augmented uh, eyes or ears or some cyberpunk <laughs> thing is uh, just hearing aids. And, um, do you know something about Global Village project of open source ecology? Yes, I actually uh, spoken with uh, people who were there, to, who were in America and uh, volunteered for this uh, open source ecology uh, guy. I think his name is Pavel. Is it? No? Okay. no, it's another. No, no. Okay, we're talking about the same guy. He is from I Poland, I think. I don't know this guy, but I know this project. Yeah, yeah. So, but I know is he he's from Poland, I think, and gone to USA to the rural area and trying to build his 
open source village and all the tools to make a, a little village. And I, I, I spoke with um, guys in Vienna who were there volunteering, I think one summer, and I don't want to say bad things now because I, it's only second-hand wisdom that I have. But the uh, impression I had from these guys was that it was all very chaotic and, and these, they said it's... Um, well, it's it's the it's not a very organized and structured process. It's also the, in part of the personality of the people involved. So so it's more where the focus of the person is. Then there's some progress, and then other things that are not so focused. Then there's more disorganization and so. But, but do you know about some pilot projects and maybe in Europe? I know one guy who went in uh, in the eastern side of Austria at the border to Hungary. He wanted to make some kind of ecological hacker space, a rural hacker space, but um, I'd, I have no progress report of him. Uh, I can try to, to check check in, but it's on a way smaller scale. It's basically just a, a garden with a house and internet, and he wanted to make a hacker space out of it and with a focus on agriculture. And hacking, hacking traditional gardening, and so mix up between community garden and, and and rural hacker space, but it's not in the in the scope of open source ecology. Of course, all these projects are in contact with each other about the internet, and good ideas uh, tend to to multiply themselves. Okay, Horst, thank you. It was a group of questions from me about uh, things that. Uh, I have great interest of, but uh, our topic is education, so let's uh, speak a little about kids and education. Uh, okay. So, my main question, uh, and we still don't find answer on it in Russia, is how to activate innovation capabilities in the kids. So, how to make a Innovative, yes. Uh, and how free and open source software can speed up or slow this process? But uh, just thinking about this, and maybe you have some examples from your life about this. Please, please note that whatever I say now is my highly subjective opinion. I have it's all about feeling and my own experience. It's not backed up by hard data, so I may talk a bit rubbish now. Yes. So your question was how to make uh, kids innovative in a technical sense. And uh, what the role of open source, uh, free open uh, software and hardware uh-huh. is there. My feeling is that that you will not make a lot of innovators with closed source or proprietary designs, like let's say a Lego Mindstorm, that where you can the electronic device not really hack, not legally hack, and not sell your own improved Lego Mindstorm kits. Then I think it will not have much impact on the number of innovators your country will produce. So I, I think having free and open source software and hardware is a precondition to get innovators. But I also think that just because you take a group of children and and bombard them, let's say by helicopter with one laptop, uh, child laptops or with some open source or free hardware computers, this is not enough. Then also no big innovation will happen. Maybe the the plane. Uh, use the hardware to dig holes in the sand and, and play, play sand. You understand me? Yeah. So I think 
it it comes down to that you have an ecosphere, a social network, and a society where um, where hacker spaces can thrive and blossom. A uh, so society where um, where teachers who are passionate can can make their own afternoon classes and and uh, parents and their authorities respected. Where where neighborhood activities tend to happen. That's usually in cities, but not necessarily in in cities. And if you have such a network, that may be the symptom. It may be not the the root. Yes, but this is then a, a, a network where where the plant, so to speak, of, of innovation in children will will blossom more. Is that too poetic? Uh, I say you you need an environment. You need not one piece of hardware or ideology. And 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 ultimately, it's a network of people. You you will not have innovation by by putting a children with a big book in a dark room. Let's put more poetic in this conversation. Yeah. So I have two different yeah. pictures yeah. Uh, about this. One picture is a kind of a car. 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 Yes. Car, car. So if we speak about innovative uh, kit like a car. So everything that you mentioned is a kind of uh, handbrake. So if you use proprietary yeah, hardware, it's, uh, driving and we don't brakes. have a network uh, of creative people, uh, we have a car with handbrake. Yeah, turn so on. to speak. And if we give everything, we will uh, turn off handbrake. But how to press the accelerator? If you want to drive fast, how to press so, this? Uh, I say no. Uh, I say no. Something that may be very stupid. It, it's about my experience of more than ten years uh, teaching children. Mm-hmm. I think uh, you cannot force it. It's like in, in, um, installing the love to mu- play a music instrument in a child. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Some have it from their own, and some will never have it, even if you force them. And and some are suitable, so you can seduce them to use that. But if you don't do that, it will not. Happen. It's the middle ground. Okay. So and I think the same is with, with in my head yeah. is a kind of a plant. Yeah. So it uh, seems that uh, we can uh, make uh, uh, view to the innovative kids, like in the classroom, like to, to the flowers and maybe yeah. flowers that still not uh, open. Yeah, yeah. And we can just uh, water them. Water from year to year before yeah. they. Open the yeah. flowers. So, and what's the water here? It's information or something else? I think in a, a flower you need the, the earth and the minerals yeah. and the, the bird so droppings. It's, it's free and open source hardware and software. It's a community, okay? It's yeah. earth and minerals. And what's yes. water? What's water? I My guess is, as a teacher, yes, my guess is is other people mm-hmm. because I, so I see that is the water. Yeah, community between students mm-hmm. that happen if you if you create an, an environment where they can all focus without being bullied and without having disciplinary problems or uh, some else problems and the fascination I think does not necessarily come from the teacher directly to the students but they come if the students inspire each other but that will seldom happen if not in turn inspired by the teacher so you need a teacher but you you need also te- 
students having fun with each other while doing that, while enjoying learning. The teacher can also be a parent or, or just a, a guy in a hackerspace or just some uncle letting them play near his computer in his garage. It, what do you think about some kind of mentors, like very experienced uh, men, maybe yeah. old men with very good knowledge about some technology yeah. that can be not a teacher but a friend yeah. and a kind of a mentor and coach for the kid? Uh, I'm really guessing here, yes. Um, if you read the biography of Linus Torvald, uh, Just for Fun, he mentioned that he was sitting on the lap of his grandfather, I think, and the grandfather was a computer programmer. It must be back in the 70s. And he write in his own biography that he was maybe five years or six or something. He was very sure he had no, absolute no idea what was happening here. But he was... He loved to sit on the lap of his grandfather while the grandfather coded. So what the grandfather was teaching him actually was that coding is something nice because he was sitting on his lap, he had grandfather time, he had them only for himself. And of course the grandfather was occupied and he tried to understand or just get a, get a feeling that this is something exciting because grandfather is doing it. Even if he don't understand the word, I think he was analphabet with, with five or six years. So I think this kind of emotional stability is, is maybe the, the more important part of mentoring than the actual uh, read this book and do that uh, kind of straightforward teaching that you need for other situations but was this answering your, your question? Yeah. You can also look uh, up uh, Sugata Mitra's uh, learning experience, he has a TED talk he's an Indian educator and he has this uh, this idea that he take an install uh, computer in an Indian rural village and just order a granny to just um, sit there, don't even interact with the computer, but just watch the children playing with the computer. The meaning is that nobody comes and ruins the computer. So the children is, the grandmommy act as a kind of catalysator. The children feel safe because they can play with the computer. The grandmother is there and makes this safe so no adult is interrupting or fight breaks out and then the children do the learning from themselves so he creates the environment with the grandmother so in this case the grandmother would be the mentor and her job is mostly admiring the kids or be nice to the kids but not actually do some teaching maybe that go, goes in the direction also it's a very fresh idea for me about, about grandmother and grandfather things <laughs> So this, this uh, key idea of Sugata Mitra is that, that the job of a grandmother is to admire everything what a grandchild is doing, no matter how stupid and little it is, because that gives the build-up sense, make it proud, the, and, and inspire them doing more and doing it better. I, okay. I have a friend in Spain who invited grandmothers to come into his robotics class. This so is Derek Brin. Uh, just, just inserting a tiny bit. <laughs> yep. he, he involved the grandmothers by having the grandmothers teach the kids and guide them for creating the costumes for the robots yep. to give them personality. Nice. And it's an extension of the idea that grandparents are the ones who, who pass down culture, that we get most of our culture yep. from our grandparents rather than from our parents. This makes actually sense because the parents have to work and are not always there okay. for their children. So, thank you, and my third uh, portion of yep. questions, it's a little bit deeper um, um, conversation about uh, 
technologies of uh, uh, free open source uh, solutions for education. So, could you uh, tell you um, uh, brand names of that software are you using for uh, operating system in classroom for ma- classroom management? Some um, additional software, yeah, for example, know. for. Uh, language oh, teaching, okay. geography teaching, and uh, other subjects, not yeah. only programming and computer okay. science. I must uh, say that I myself teach only programming, so I, I'm not a geography teacher, and I have no first-hand experience of teaching geography. I just can say um, the same things I said in the talk before. There are special Linux distributions bundling all these open-source and free software applications that are useful for specific teachers like algebra apps or geo geometry uh, programs and they bundling them in one distro yes um, the, what i know is edubuntu is a flavor of ubuntu is kole linux i think it was debian based i'm not sure what is no i think it's debian based then i know uh, linux advanced it was uh, suse based uh, suse is uh, close to red hat And uh, the Swiss Lernstick or Austrian Linux Advanced Projects both are merged. Uh, um, I'm actu- I think they were Ubuntu-based. I'm, I'm not very sure. And all they have in common that they try to make the life of a teacher or a sysadmin of a school very easy by giving a pre-selected set of uh, applications installed. And then the individual teacher can can use them. And of course, if you know a bit about Linux, you can remix your own distribution. Mm-hmm. And do you know? Maybe you use some uh, uh, solution on for web servers and web-based um, tools for um, controlling education process, like uh, home tasks and ah. some kind of. Uh, education matters. Yeah, like Khan Academy, these progress reports. I personally don't do that well. Indirectly, I I use GitHub because I teach my students to use GitHub and and, uh, commit to projects. Then I automatically have a progress report if they're doing something or not. I think that GitHub and version control like Git would be the most important tool for non-programming teachers to learn because it it's a tool for collaboration and everything that you taught now about like controlling the homework it's, it's basically a collaboration so the students are collaborating with the teacher to a project like reaching an education goal or something and and I think instead of using now a Google Drive or so where you all can do that it would make sense if let's say like a math teacher uh, If he has a little time and thinking, what should I now learn? I have not the time to become full Linux admin. I have maybe a weekend. Then I think the time would be best spent trying to work with GitHub or Git from the command line if he if he can, and then try to use that in as many different topics in his school as possible. So also the geography teacher and uh, another teacher use that because with the knowledge of how a version control system works and how you use that uh, services like GitHub, Bitbucket and others, then you could really make every kind of homework be it whatever the file system is you can then use that and control it 
What's that answering your, your question? questions. Uh, which age of kids are using GitHub? Well, I can proudly report that in my <laughs> business, uh, the youngest is 10 year actually. 10 years, guys, using GitHub. Using GitHub, has his own GitHub account. <laughs> But it, I must say, it's, you should never look at the extreme values, uh, young and old, but you should look at the heap, so at the main, statistic main average, because you always have one kind child in every group where the parents, he, like, he can reading with three years old, and so that's not a, he's not the norm, yes? And for effectively using GitHub, I would say you can start with the average student around 12, 13 years and at the same time usually when they get real interesting in programming text-based programming so not scratch no. I know guys uh, about uh, 30, 30, 30 30 yeah 0 age who cannot find out how to use GitHub even after tutorials and so on even with the tutorials <laughs> yeah, well, because uh, it's a very hard uh, concept maybe, for their mind Maybe you need more attractive teachers. Yeah, <laughs> <because> like, <laughs> I'm, I'm open for hire. I fly to Russia and ah. teach you how to use GitHub. No problem. <laughs> and what do you think about uh, GitLab solution? GitLab. GitLab. I'm a bit at lost. Uh, I'm, I don't know what GitLab is at the moment. It's a kind of uh, standalone GitHub, if you would like ah, to Ah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I hear about it. Yes, that's must be cool for schools so they can set it up but basically with, with git you always can make your own own service edit that out I forgot we all had should go in the flight mode, so maybe we have a um, signal on the on the microphone sound file. Um, you know, a noise signal from the phones, but it's no problem. I can make a transcript and send it to you. I we finish. Yes. Okay. Thank so you. Can ask thank your questions thank you. If you would like. I'm, I'm making a new file. International Open Podcast Part 5, <laughs> uh, Issue 5, Part 2. It's uh, April 2016, the 15th. We are in International Education Fair Moscow. I'm Horst Jens. Next to me sit Derek Breen and I sit next to Pavel. Yeah. I'm Pavel Fralov and I'm General Director of uh, GNU Linux Center project and the publisher of Linux Format Russia magazine. Wow. Um, Pavel. You work a lot uh, with uh, promoting and making possible uh, free software and open source education for Russian schools. Yes. Can Can you say how How did you come to this line of business? What What was the reason you you got into this area? Uh, about 15 years ago, we hold an internet shop uh, with. Uh, CDs and DVDs with software and we find out the extremely high demand of the CDs with uh, GNU Linux and FreeBSD um, operating systems and uh, it was so huge demand that we decided that we need to do separate project so we established internet shop named linuxcenter.ru 
and we made a proposal that you can order um, CD or DVD uh, with uh, different Linux distribution and we will send it by post to you and it was very big business for us for several years. So you had a mail order Linux distribution yes. distribution service. Yes. <laughs> cool. And what is uh, linuxcenter.ru doing now? What is the main activity? Next step of our development was publishing books and um, some um, um, educational materials. Uh, then we start to publish uh, Linux magazine and we do it for 10 years. For last year it was 10 years uh, of the Linux format magazine Russia. And then we start to provide services uh, for the government customers and for business customers of migrating or some consulting or some development based on free and open source systems. So, so you're selling know-how and expertise. And um, developers uh, yeah. work also. Mm -hmm. Uh, and now uh, Linux distribution business is not uh, good because everyone can download everything, but we do some services and we do some solutions like free open source hardware and software bundles, like uh, robotic kits or some boxes for play internet radio or some boxes for internet security like firewalls and so on and uh, we also do some services in the internet like solution for example for internet tv and internet radio based on free and open source stack i will follow with some generic uh, questions about situation in russia okay. regarding open source i hope they are not offensive they are from my very little small wisdom is from us there. Um, first question, what is um, the popularity of, of free software, especially Linux in Russia? Is, uh, historically, I, I had the impression um, the need was not so big years ago because you can for next to nothing get a pirated version of Windows and there were no American lawyers who would in any way harm you if you do that. So there was not so much need to, to get a Linux because you can have a li Windows basically for free. What, what is what is the truth? <laughs> uh, the GNU Linux operating system and FreeBSD and so on uh, are really popular on web servers. Mm -hmm. uh, more than 15 years. Uh, yeah. And uh, it's totally dominated. They also totally dominated on supercomputers. Yeah. Not only in Russia, all over the world, uh, they almost uh, kill the market for the operating systems. As for um, desktops, uh, I think that uh, now we have one or two persons of desktops that using Linux. Mm -hmm. But uh, if we don't uh, mind the Android operating mm -hmm. systems, because Android is uh, 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 very popular on the mobile phones and uh, on tablets. And uh, also, very many people using OpenOffice and uh, Firefox. And, uh, so they're on top on a proprietary uh, uh, system, they use free software. Yes, okay. uh, kind of uh, Google Chrome or maybe Jim or Blender and so on. Uh, so um, uh, we have uh, several organizations 
who is uh, uh, totally um, uh, using uh, free open source uh, uh, systems. Uh, for example, there is very huge network of uh, food stores. Uh, its mm -hmm. name is Magnet, okay. and it's uh, one of the most uh, largest networks all over the world, maybe mm -hmm. top five or top yep. three, and they have more than 5,000 cool. uh, stores, and they use it only open source. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Sorry, first, yeah, uh, we no need to close exhibition now, okay. so maybe we can uh, continue, continue later. a little bit later, yeah, because no in five minutes everyone will watch. Interview with Pavel. Continue. Question was about uh, how, how Russian government is reacting to idea of open source and free software. Uh, in uh, the Russian government is very um, uh, hard to understand uh, <laughs> uh, term because uh, in fact Russian government is 25 ministers. Yeah. and se several secretaries. So it's complex. So it's kind of uh, Minister of Finance, Minister of yeah. Transport, Minister of uh, Communication, and so on. And of course, Minister of fin Finance and Minister of Transport uh, doesn't know anything about free software. <laughs> uh, but in fact, we have our Prime Minister, Dmitry Medvedev, and mm -hmm. he is very good uh, in understanding of uh, free and open source software really? and uh, Linux operating system and he even, I don't show if it's true for mm. 100% but I heard that he tried to install different Linux distribution on his laptop by himself. Ah, really? Yeah, that's, <laughs> so, a, that's a story in itself that uh, must be the first Prime Minister worldwide. And he, he was the president of uh, Russia yeah. and uh, uh, he was uh, the person who was personally responsible for the modernization of education system in Russia and also for uh, installing Linux operation system in Russian school. So every Russian uh, mm. school has now a Linux operation system? Uh, no, it was a plan, but yep. it was failed. Okay. Uh, uh, and... Uh, there was a pilot project in three regions, but Russia is a huge country, so mm. each region is a kind of uh, big European country. So in three regions, it was Perm, um, uh, Perm uh, region, uh, Tatarstan, and Tomsk region. Uh, there was a pilot project of migrating all schools mm -hmm. to GNU Linux. And there was many methodological and educational materials that was developed to help uh, to teachers to migrate. And there was a big uh, program of um, improving qualification of teachers uh, to using uh, free software in schools. Uh, it was not uh, very good because uh, they have uh, there was hiring 
we tried to do very fast. Oh, and okay, uh, yeah. it was kind of a mistake. So it was okay. better if this project was for three years. But mm. they tried to do everything for one year, so the quality of education was better. Uh, and but. Uh, Uh, they tried to make education for 10 or 20,000 teachers how to use uh, free software and then they sent uh, CDs with Linux operating systems to each school of Russia and say okay you can use it and then uh, they say that Russian government will not give money anymore to the school for buying software So they have now two options. Or they region government pay, for example, to Microsoft. Yep. Or, or they can use free software. And some regions buy uh, licenses from Microsoft. And Microsoft was uh, have to uh, lower prices, yeah, yeah. very low. Ten times or yeah, so yeah. For, for, for the whole region. Because in other cases, so we they use the region. And, uh, so they use the free software's leverage to, to get better prices from Microsoft? Uh, some regions, yes. Yeah, and yeah. some regions are going to GNU Linux and free software, and there are several regions who make decisions that we don't go to the Microsoft. Um, um, and they're still using Linux? Or yes, yes. Okay. And also this process... Uh, Uh, leave a little bit steps on the sand and um, many teachers now heard about Linux and many enthusiasts and early adopters using mm -hmm. Linux and uh, there are whole schools in different regions uh, which using GNU Linux and other stuff and this beautiful girl that come to you and ask who you are is uh, um, the government member of St. Petersburg and she was established the work group of using free software in schools of St. Petersburg so they do uh, conferences twice a year and share experience and invite different uh, companies whose business is uh, service in open source and in St. Petersburg we have about 700 schools and about 100, maybe from 1 to 200, are using Linux mm -hmm. and free open source. And there was also one guy with some mustaches, and he is um, the uh, vice director of one school, uh, which is pilot school for um, government of St. Petersburg, uh, which use uh, free software in every aspect of uh, school uh, process, even for geography or English language mm -hmm. and so on. And they make a methodological uh, papers and other schools, they share this methodological, other schools can take this experience and uh, use it too. So, and I'm sure that it's not only one case, so it's a kind of um, uh, the first um, project, the big Linux project for schools, a kind of uh, uh, throwing seeds everywhere, mm -hmm. and some seeds now growing. And I think that this process will grow, but uh, 
now no one is speeding it up and no one helps so it's a kind of plant that's growing by themselves as they wish kind of jungle <laughs> so this is situation in schools so in government the situation is um, uh, quite the same and uh, we have federal government uh, structures uh, different ministers different agency about 60 or 80 organizations and uh, about six years ago the uh, government uh, make a plan of total migrating to free open source of all, all federal Ministers? Uh, uh, ministers. Uh, our group was involved in uh, making this plan, so in, in uh, our first version of this idea it was three years plan, but uh, they say that it's too fast, so it should be only at least five years, and maybe then we have time to make new five years of uh -huh. something. But there was very good plan and there was very uh, strange situation because uh, bureaucrats uh, decided not to do anything. They have plan. It was uh, written by, signed by Putin. But uh, almost everyone in uh, federal structures decided to not migrate to free open source. Uh, but uh, there, there was one organization who do everything uh, for this plan. It's I don't know the English word, but for Russian it's Federal Служба Судебных Приставов. So this is federal service of officers uh, which taking depths from the people, mm -hmm. a kind of uh, department of police. So, finance police or something? Not, not finance police, but if someone is own money, for example, for the... So it would be like the Internal Revenue Service in like the United States maybe. that collects taxes yes, and they, and they collect not penalties. Yeah. Not taxes, but penalties. Yes. and they do everything so mm -hmm. they do their own Linux distribution mm -hmm. they make certification for security they made education and uh, they have about 50,000 uh, computers and servers mm -hmm. and they migrated all servers and uh, 10,000 computers wow. this is situation for the last year fall maybe now it's more so they do everything and they share their solution to other ministries. So every ministry and every local government of the region now can take this. They name is GOS Linux and GOS made government. So mm -hmm. it's government Linux. They ah. do this and uh, everyone can download it from the uh, government site and uh, use it uh, for migrating. Interesting. So this is very good case. But this is only one branch of government. It's not that all yes. government and other agencies government structure using several servers, mm -hmm. several computers with open office and mm -hmm. so on. But uh, this t total uh, 
migrating like was described in this plan only one organization okay. was do and we trying to find out why yeah. this happened and we find out that the key issue here is education because people who was um, process. Um, the, who was told mm-hmm. to migrate doesn't know anything mm. about Linux anything doesn't know anything about free software and uh, they don't have the images in their mind they know only windows and uh, it's almost impossible to make these people to do something with Linux you need to re-educate them sure do you know from any cities or towns uh, who completely switched the the government of the district Uh, there the city. are several cities in Russia who totally migrated to Linux and mm-hmm. free open source. And that worked? Uh, yes, okay. everything is good. Can you give one example of such a city? For example, in the Primorsky region, near the Vladivostok, there is a small city named Chernigov- Chernigovka. So and they, they made, they made a complete, t- complete migration yeah. seven years ago. And and do you think they, they will continue doing that or will they with the next um, shift of government directive of the, going back? the chief. Uh-huh. So I know very big uh, projects of migrating, for example, federal fund of uh, social insurance. It's about 25,000 computers. And they make total migrating for open office and for free software on the several servers. And they do their own database on free open source um, uh, engine. And uh, they do this for five years. It was very uh, successful project. And then the chief officer go to another work and another chief officer say, what are you doing here? Where is my Microsoft Office? Where is my Oracle database? This seems to be an international <laughs> problem. Uh, I know this story from my country and from several countries. Do you know something? Because I imagine that the Russian military is one of the few militaries in the world who will not happily use American software. Yes, for our military warships has and so. several Linux distribution yeah. self-development. So self-development. Have, uh, self-development. But this does not spill over to civil government, so they make their own thing, no, the military. Now they have option of uh, uh, selling uh, several distribution to the government too. But the distribution are not very cheap. No. <laughs> so it's expensive solution. Can I also ask, what do you think about the level of education, especially of computer science education in Russia, in in view of a global playfield? So. You, I think Russian engineers are I understand your question. compared um, against India, against uh, yes. Eastern Bloc, America, Chinese so, engineers. Uh, if you uh, ask about coding, just coding, yeah. so I think that uh, Indian um, coders uh, can be more competitive because uh, uh, they have more people. 
There is okay. about billion people in India and only 140 million in Russia. So they, they love you large talk, numbers. Talking about architectures and yeah. uh, some um, big-minded people, yeah. uh, the key issue here is mathematics. Yeah. So mathematics uh, schools in high school and also many. Uh, Secondary schools um, in Russia are very good. So some um, universities has uh, best mathematics uh, educational program in the world, and our mathematics uh, are very cool um, mathematicians. Uh, and these guys uh, very often wants uh, or wins um, uh, world Olympic right, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. games in programming. And uh, they really cool. So if you look carefully to the American companies like Microsoft mm -hmm. or Intel, you'll find many Russians yeah, who do many Google, uh, Google uh, in programming, uh, so who do many jobs, uh, very important jobs. But if you're talking about simple coding, uh, our guys are not so cool that other country because it's boring and Russians are not like boring tasks <laughs> <laughs> if you need to solve unsolved in the world problem go to Russian guy yeah. you will do this if you need to uh, code for five years for the instruction that's uh, going from the head office to you Russian guy will fail this Uh, and uh, another problem uh, or difference in uh, uh, education is uh, different uh, roles in not computer science but computer business. So uh, we, in computer business we need to have good marketing we need to really good understand which market sector we want to target our solution and we need to have very good usability and we need to have very good um, focusing on local markets because in different countries you have different demand on uh, some functions and usability and, uh, and, and even service and uh, our education system now is not good in this. So we have uh, different um, projects in education system, like maybe you know, in Napolis University. Mm -hmm. So in Kazan, in Tatarstan region, uh, we're going to build. We already built this uh, big university who will uh, teach computer science. Mm -hmm. So to find out how to teach this, uh, we was need to send people to take experience on the good uh, and large uh, universities in the world who uh, who are good in this. For example, uh, Carnegie Mellon. So they sent our ambassadors to Carnegie Mellon, and uh, they studying there, and then they come back and try to teach which uh, the things they they studied to the Russian students. Mm. 
but uh, we have gap here. So very good mathematicians, okay. but uh, not good mar marketolog people, mar marketing people, okay. not good uh, UX designers, and mm. not good uh, coders because cod coding is more the discipline than creativity. Okay. You, you just need to do some tasks in, in good uh, methodology like Scrum or Agile or so. But, but we have very strong outsourcing company that is going to... That is going, they are in top uh, hundred of the world's largest uh, uh, software companies uh, and they have thousands of employers here who do many things both in coding and both in uh, creating new solutions for many customers even for the government of your country and uh, USA or some projects and medicine or so on Many times uh, you can find situation when big project is doing by some company from Russia who has, um, for example, two or three thousands programmers who is know how to, to do everything right, but they teaching, they studying this about 20 years. <laughs> so they really good in, in everything. Sorry, interview. What is your opinion of the level of um, internet infrastructure in Russia? Is there a big difference between centers like Moscow and St. Petersburg? Or is, can you say that you, you have equally good uh, internet connection and quality of teachers and quality of uh, universities across the country? Russian government, and uh, it was also Dmitry Medvedev who was responsible for it, uh, spent a lot of time money and resources to make very good internet connection for every school of the Russia. So every school of the Russia has good internet connection. And now almost uh, every place in Russia has also good internet connection. But we have several villages very far from mm -hmm. big um, cities, so big like, transport yeah. um, pipes. Uh, but uh, we also have uh, 3G and 4G wireless internet. And for example, in my phone, all over the Russia, I can have internet connection from 10 to 80 megabits per second in my phone. Yeah. <laughs> It's very fast. Yeah. So you say you have good internet connection, yes. no, maybe a part of some small villages who are hard yes. to reach. Okay. Everyone who wants have good internet connection can have it and it's not much expensive so, yes, for example, so much I, less expensive I than the US. pay for my phone internet connection about four dollars per month mm. And, and every school has, has, has good internet connection so every school or university yes. has yes. Yes. So mm -hmm. no problem with internet connection we have, except small villages, but uh, government is uh, giving money for some. Because our idea is uh, that everyone should have good internet connection mm -hmm. in Russia. What is uh, your opinion about uh, uh, the 
attractivity of the economy of, of Russia for good educated coders and mathematics. As you said before, a lot of uh, Russian educated mathematics end up working in America for mm -hmm. Silicon Valley companies. Uh, you think um, the Russian economy is attractive enough to, to hold enough uh, good educated people or do, do you basically invest in them and then they leave the country? I know some people who come back yeah. from USA and now they're living in Russia. Mm -hmm. And I know some people who go out from Russia mm -hmm. and live now in the USA. And uh, it seems that it's free migration from yeah. country to country. And uh, uh, the most bad thing in Russia now is the climate. <laughs> so it's the most complaining thing yeah. uh, to discuss with people. They say, oh, we get sick in winter, oh, we have uh, so much raining, uh, and we would like to move to the country where the sun is shining uh, every day. So th this is um, very often needed uh, reason uh, to migrate. In terms of money or security, uh, the situation is uh, quite the same. Mm -hmm. And in terms of kind of startup, uh, the USA is much more uh, harder to go to market because you need to do many things with patents. It's mm -hmm. a lot, it's very expensive and it's uh, hard way to market and, uh, in terms of abilities uh, in Russia now you have more abilities than in uh, other countries and there are many people who live in uh, sunny countries but they earn money in Russia <laughs> they go to Russia for salaries they, they come back to their families to the sunny country Final question: What is what is your opinion about mandatory coding uh, in in school? Like Little Estonia, I think made a curriculum that every 13-year-old uh, get get one year of coding in, in school. So learn to code in the school for for everyone, not only for specialist uh -huh. classes. You have such uh, regions or uh, some in plans Russia, that you know. In Russia, everyone using coding in school too. Really? Yes. And Can you say what age or what? About uh, 12 or 13 years old. So this is for every child in Russia? Yes. But the problem is that they uh, teach in Pascal. Okay. <laughs> maybe that so we, we, we need to change this to teach in Scratch, for example, at first, and then C++. Because Pascal is use, useless. Mm -hmm. And there is big problem with school kids who go from school say, do you know programming? Yes. Which language you can? Pascal. <laughs> it also makes me suspect that the curriculum would be a pretty old model of curriculum. If, if they're still focused on Pascal, then they're probably still using the same lessons of the 80s or whenever it was that that was implemented. How long ago was that program set into place so that all children would be studying coding for at least a year? Uh, 
they study coding about one hour a week and it lasts uh, for several years mm-hmm. about five years and how long have the schools been that consistent with coding because that it sounds like Russia is way ahead of most of the Western world mm-hmm. where a lot of these other company uh, countries including the USA are only just starting to to make it a requirement mm, I don't know I cannot so, predict but for this, a good while, it sounds but like. I hope that uh, it will last forever. Yeah. Because it's yeah. the right thing to start study uh, programming in schools. Mm-hmm. A personal question: Do you think the uh, free and open source movement in Russia is strong enough enough to survive a, a government shift? Let's say some other prime minister say we don't have money for that. Uh, We don't want to um, support or free software anymore. You use that and that Windows. In fact, uh, money for supporting free and open source movement are not paying, mm-hmm. not spending. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was spent very small amount of money in Russia for this. And free and open source movement are development independent of uh, government support okay. and this is uh, mean that they uh, develop slowly and sometimes they have problems and sometimes people go out from this movement and do something else but they also um, uh, very uh, uh, very strong Uh, so they development without support, so it's very hard to uh, stop them. Okay, so you think it's strong enough? They're strong enough, but they're really small. It can be mm-hmm. much more... Could be more. More if they give support, but maybe it can be a better uh, solution too, because if they will be thinking that every time he wants money, someone will come and give this, they will okay. become weak. Yeah, Now, our free and open source guys are really cool. It's a kind of digital Jedi of the future. Yeah. <laughs> One extra question. Uh, do you see there's an um, uh, eco, ecosphere of independent hacker spaces, maker spaces, little innovative firms growing out of student projects? Also in, in Russia, blossoming, or is that hard for political or This some other reasons? This is very funny questions because because of my answer of previous question because this movement are really supported by government and they spend huge amount of money to uh, open fab labs. L- they, let me repeat it: the Russian government is paying to open fab labs and yes, makerspaces. Yes. They pay for. I'm speechless. They yeah. pay for opening 200 fab labs for last two years. Well, and uh, in Moscow we have more than 20 fab labs now. In each district of Moscow, kids can for free come to fab lab and find 3D printers, uh, digital fabrication machine like laser cutting or so on. 
and the Russian government are working very hard to activate um, creativity of kids to make them innovative uh, and some startups and so And how so is it's big government program and they cool. don't seem to stop this. And how is it um, if students want to make their own thing? Also, not no problem. They can for free. And they do they this. don't get difficulties like saying uh, it's yes. hard to find a rental space or getting allowance. So it's really yes. And we also have supported. independent yeah also space. They are not uh, discriminated or something. Yes. Wow, it's really cool. So. Of all that, I hear from you that you look very optimistic in the future of Russia as a yes. free software producing country. Is that true? My impression? Yes. Yeah. You already feel that you are attracting uh, programmers or nerds from other countries because of Only this? Derek. Okay. Only Derek. <laughs> <laughs> But well. some guys are attracted for Innopolis. So Innopolis uh, offer some grants for professors uh, yeah. to come to Innopolis and hold the uh, computer science uh, works. Uh, and I think, and some guys was attracted by Skolkova and Skoltech. Okay, thanks, Pavel, a lot for this interview. And good luck with your yeah. whole activities. I hope we see us other in each other again in our next okay. yeah. meeting so. or conference. Das Wiedersehen. Okay. Das Wiedersehen. Bye-bye. Oh, wow. Auf Wiedersehen.